Warning, the cases that I talk about here are under the assumption that the individuals that are accused allegedly committed these crimes unless they have been convicted in court for the, tri for the crimes that they have been charged with. This is by no means me making any kind of accusations whatsoever. I am simply commenting on news articles and stories that have been shared with me through individuals who may or may not have experienced these said stories. This is not fact. This is purely my opinion. Unless they have been through court and they have been convicted. Please understand that moving forward. Thank you. Trigger warning. The podcast you're about to listen to may contain sexual and violent acts committed against men, women, and children. If such acts offend you in any way, please do not listen any further. This podcast was made for an audience of 18 years and older and contains mature and explicit content. Also, this podcast may also contain a high level of profanity and explicit language. If such things offend you in any way, shape, or form, please do not listen to the podcast any further. This is your last trigger warning. If anything that I mentioned above offends you, please do not listen. Thank you. Hey everybody, this is Jeremy with the Man Apart Podcast, episode 22, titled Horrors of the TTI or Troubled Teen Industry. So I want to start out by saying that this is going to end up more than likely being a series of episodes. Now they won't probably be together that's not how I, I run my podcast. I, whenever I do an interview, I get I interview who I interview, and I go on and do my next episodes. Um, I might be changing that format. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to make this a mini series or not. But let me let me give you a preference, and let me give you a little bit of a background of how I found out about the troubled teen industry. So some of these interviews I've been doing are now coming from TikTok. Uh, it's a social media platform. You, you know, short form content, you know, anywhere from 15 to 60 seconds to three minute videos. I think now it goes up to 10 minute videos, but I, it's really much like uh, YouTube on ADHD is the best way I can describe it. So on this platform, it, it has an algorithm that teaches, you know, that, that learns your behaviors and learns what you search for. And so, and then it tries to suggest other things that sort of nature well whenever I started doing my anti-pedophile content and that was growing and I started my uh, podcast my research into other survivors looking up survivor awareness stories and things like that on TikTok uh, it grew and so the algorithm will push out to other people's uh, uh, profiles one particular individual with a TikTok channel called Slay the TTI came across and or he saw one of my videos, uh, a man named John, and he liked one of my videos. And so what I do is to reach out and network with people, I would go and click and see who would like my videos, look at the names, and just go click on their profiles and see if they had any videos or not, follow them back. So that's what I would do, right? And especially if it was something along the lines of advocacy and, you know, fighting the pedophilia uh, fight or, you know, helping children, you know, healing uh, therapist, anything of that sort of nature, 
uh, to get a different perspective as well. I would like their con, you know, I'd follow them back and go check out their content. Well, Slay the TTI looks like Slay Eddie whenever you, whenever you see it on screen. I'm going, Slay Eddie, what the hell is that, right? So I click on, I'm, I'm thinking some Italian rapper, right? And I, I know people laugh when I, when, when I, when I tell them that from the TTI and, you know, the troubled teen industry. But I go and I look, and then I see that TTI stood for troubled teen industry or troubled teen industry, right? And so, I didn't know what the hell that was. And when I started asking questions and started looking at the videos, I realized, oh shit, this is a real problem. Uh, the troubled teen industry is basically, in a nutshell, and this is a very oversimplified explanation for it, so you can kind of grasp and understand, for those that don't know, like me, for 35 years of my life, it is, you know how you have a kid that's acting up, that's bad, quote-unquote bad, um, just, you know, you can't seem to get them to kind of fall in line and be disciplined and everything of that sort of nature. They have, you know, they, they'll have these uh, military programs, military schools, they, they get sent camps, wherever they get sent off to, uh, wilderness survival-type camps. Uh, you might have a, uh, a church-based organization like that. Uh, there's rehab therapy based organizations of that sort of nature, healing place, you know, all, all these different type of programs to help kids. Right. And you send them off for about, you know, a couple of months, maybe a year or so, and they get, you know, they get better. Right. So there's a deep rabbit hole of research and it's not conspiracy theory. There is actual hard proven facts about this industry and there's a lot of survivors who for a long time were either silenced or stayed silent because they didn't know anybody else from these uh, type of abuses. And there, it ranges from mental abuse to physical abuse to sexual abuse. And, I mean, all the way up to murder. I mean, there are some stories that I've found that are just, they horrify me. And so I found out about that and I'm like, okay, so I started researching a little bit and then I get back on TikTok about, you know, or I was on TikTok every day, but about a week later I start scrolling through my For You page and Sabrina comes along and I said, oh, okay, this, and it, and it says the TTI and I'm like, oh, okay, so this is another, another person from TTI, wow. And just like I did for Slay the TTI channel, Sabrina, I did the same thing. I said, hey, reach out to me. I want to talk. I want to help share your story. Well, I didn't know after talking to her. And we talked for about a good hour or two on the phone. Um, she let me know that she did another another podcast called Surviving Abuse by David Keck. And she was excited. And she's probably chomping at the bit right now waiting for my phone call to, to get on this interview. Uh, she wants to share her story. And so um, it's a very... It's a heartbreaking story, I will say. Um, I'm not never excited to hear about the traumas but i'm excited to give somebody a voice and that's what it's all about is to give these these survivors these victims uh, you know what they're survivors all right that's what they are to give them a voice to support them to love them and to have these meaningful relationships with them in life i think that's more important to me than all the riches and, and glory in the world and all the gold in the world honestly if if i can just help somebody and be there for them and be a friend to them and love on them, and just, you know, give them the support that they so desperately and so sorely need. That's all I want, then. 
Uh, you know, yeah, I hate pedophiles. Yeah, I, I, you know, let's go hunt them down, you know, and, and get them locked up and arrested. But man, this is this is wonderful work. You know, this to me, I I just love doing this, and I love building these wonderful connections with these individuals. And like you've heard in the previous episodes and interviews, I, you know, I do love them to death. And if I could hug them and soak up their pain, I really would. I, that's not just some. That's not just some saying. That's that is just how I really feel. So I'm not going to blow up any more uh, smoke up y'all's skirts about, about Sabrina. I'll let her amaze y'all yourselves. And here's my interview with Sabrina Young. Hey, Sabrina. Hey. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. How are you? Doing good. And uh, as I say, daddy's been working, so <laughs> I'm putting in the work today. Um, oh, so... I kind of already gave a already gave kind of a little bit of a backstory in the intro to this episode of how I got in touch with you and how I randomly found you on TikTok, <laughs> and, uh, which uh, I'm actually finding a lot more people and, and a lot more interviewees on TikTok. Um, so I I I let everybody know what the trouble teen industry was to me. Um, I kind of I'm hearing a clicking in the background. Oh. I probably me moving, moving around, oh. trying to get okay. situated. Is it gone? No, it's like a like a like a tearing or a ripping or a. a... Hmm, I don't know. Hang on. Um, I just have my headphones plugged in. Oh, okay. Do you have like the do you have the one with the microphone like down but down to your chest? Yes. Yeah, it's probably it's probably clicking on something right there. Okay, is it still doing it? Um. Say, test test some more. Say something. Hi. <laughs> uh, no, it's not clicking now. That's good. Okay. All right. Maybe it's because I need to hold the mic and let it just instead of it moving around. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um. So anyway, I was what I was saying was, uh, oh yeah, how I how I found you randomly on TikTok, reached out to you, and you were you know just yeah, I want to tell you my story, and we talked and everything like that, and uh. I've been talking to you off, you know, outside of the podcast for a while now. And, um, I, you know, I got, I listened to all of, uh, all of y'all stories from the Rebecca series on David Keck's surviving abuse podcast. And I'm glad you're here on mine now. Um, you know, it's just, uh, when I, yours was the first one I heard. And I remember your victim impact statement on that, like David, David, see, a lot of people don't understand on my podcast that David does give his give his interviewees homework to do, right? And they make victim impact statements on his podcast. And when I heard yours, it had me crying. Mm. It really did. And so, what we're what we what how I do on mine is just going to be like a fireside chat. How we've had conversations on the phone. Um, you know, this is this is, you know, unscripted, you know, uncut, just raw emotion, and 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 just share what you want to feel. So I guess let's just take it from the, from the top, from the beginning. And how did you, you know, like how, how was it, I guess the events that led up to you being into the troubled teen industry and we'll just go from there. Okay. So you go ahead and just, just okay. tell how it, how it goes. So um, I was adopted when I was three months old and my adoptive mother was <clears throat> extremely abusive to me and my siblings. Um, I I have three older siblings who were also adopted as well. And um, as we got older, she kept us in the house more to try to 
a hide the abuse. Um, my sister started running away from home and getting into drugs, hanging with the wrong crowd. So she sent her to go live with one of our aunts. And then um, someone in the church where my aunt attended church at um, knew about uh, a girl's home called Charity Haven Girls Home for troubled teens. So they sent my sister there. Um, later on, <clears throat> I wind up getting sent to live with my aunt, Sherrod, and she sends me to the same program. She tells me that I'm going to be in the same place that Beverly was sent to, but little did I know I was going to the program in Florida and Beverly was going to be sent to the program that was in Alice, Texas. Okay. So a man and a woman named Norma Walkden and Dave Walkden owned Charity Haven and Victory Acres. So the man ran the one in Texas and she ran the one in Florida. Um, so I pretty much went from program to program to program. I went through five different programs for six years from age 11 to 17. <clears throat> Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm listening. Right. No, I'm, uh, yeah. So, um, so I was in those programs for six years of my life. Um, sure. When I left the program, I was three months shy of turning 18. I was still 17, and it was December of 2004. Um, so this wasn't that long ago. I mean, I know it sounds no. like it was 2004 was a long time ago, but it's not. And the fact of the matter is, is these places are still open and operating all across America. It's still going on. We're losing children to these places. There's yeah. been over 300 deaths reported. Um, Naomi Woods, uh, she passed away in 2021. Lakeland Teen Girls Academy. Um, all they did was pray for her and give her soup. And she wound up dying. Uh, Fredericks Cornelius, another 16-year-old. Um, was in another uh, behavior modification facility through a sandwich. They restrained him, and he wound up dying from that restraint. Um, I'm tired of it. I'm just tired of it. Um, yeah. I'm tired of it going on. Um, the general public has no idea that these programs even exist. They're all yeah, over. I yeah, I mean, I, I just learned about it maybe, shit, what, like a month or so ago? And uh, the only reason I even learned about it was randomly flipping through tiktok that's the only way i even heard about this there's nobody there's there, there's not a lot of uh buzz going into it and what even astounded me was that i found out that paris hilton was was at the forefront of this movement as well yeah there's several celebrities who have attended the trouble teen um industry you've got paris jackson michael jackson's daughter she went to provo canyon school and she was 16 um kat von d um the famous tattoo artist uh um, yeah she, she went to Provo Canyon. Drew Barrymore was in a behavior modification youth facility for foster group. I mean, they've got children right now in Louisiana that they're trying to put into juvie because they have no places to put these foster kids. They're not bad kids. They don't deserve to be there. They didn't do anything wrong. Just they have nowhere to go. Like, this Hell, is that, ridiculous. We're tired yeah, of it. I mean, I, I, I know exactly. Uh, the, I think I know. If that's not a separate story, if not, but I know there's another story where I heard they were actually putting either juvenile kids or foster care kids housed over at and one of Angola's uh, uh, old defunct uh, death row houses over there at the prison. Um, 
And for people that don't know about Angola, it, it is it is a, it's one of America's bloodiest prisons. It is it, it's, it's famous for that, for being a very violent place. And I don't know. I, I mean, from what I understand and gathered, they're not they're not in the same housing unit with the prisoners, but still they're in, they're on that same compound. They're not far away from. Them. Um, and if anybody knows how the prison system is, it's always understaffed and um, not it's, it's not even capable of handling adults, much less uh, the needs for of children. So uh, it, it's a very uh, very odd thing for them to do. Yeah, they like to often rehome adoptive children or foster care children that didn't work out. And they have them strut down like a homemade runway and tell a little bit of information about the kids. I mean, this is real life going on in America and all across the board. I just got sick and tired of it. I started advocating for, you know, adoption abuse, um, foster care abuse. Um, I believe, you know, for a while I didn't think that what I had went through was trafficking where they took me from program to program, state to state. But then the more that I thought about it and the more that I read about it and more that I talked to my therapist about it, it was definitely benefits trafficking. I mean, at the time, my adopted mother had passed away and then my aunt Sherrod had passed away. And then I came to go live with a family in Ohio when I was 16. And that was an illegal foster thing. They had they couldn't even claim me on their taxes because one of my aunts was still claiming me on her taxes, even though I hadn't lived with her for over five years at this point, you know. So it was all about keeping money. They were getting social security checks every month because my adopted mother had passed away. They were getting money for me being adopted. You know, they were getting benefits for not having uh, enough income generated. You know, my aunt, she was old and she didn't work. My dad was disabled into, you know, they put him into a mental hospital after my adopted mother passed away. He tried to commit suicide numerous times. Um, one time when I was eight years old, he came in, me and my sister shared a bedroom. He came into the room with a Food Lion bag. Food Lion is like a store, kind of like, you know, like the Piggly Wiggly or whatever. It was yeah, all yeah. over it down in the south. Um, and he told us not to open it and to g- wait until our mother woke up to give it to her. Well, my sister's four years older than me, so she was around 14 at the time. She opens up, you know, the bag and she notices there's a suicide note. There's his wallet, social security card, his watch. So she goes and she wakes our adoptive mother up, tells her what's going on. They go and they find him and he's trying to jump off the St. Matthew's Bridge in Jacksonville. Um, There was one time that he tried to leave to go commit suicide. I remember 13 years old after I'd left um, the program for a little bit. um, Walking him back inside as my mother, adopted mother's uh, dialysis bus was pulling up to drop her off from dialysis. Like, you know, the family yeah. dynamics was completely missed. And some of these kids like me, I didn't do anything to go to be, I mean, nobody deserved to be abused, whether they got sent there because they were a troubled teen or were doing anything wrong. I'm not trying to dismiss that, but I didn't no. do anything to deserve to be sent there in the first place. So I was just pissed off that I was there from the jump. I was tired yeah. Of, you know, being misunderstood, unloved. I just wanted a loving family. You know, um, I had several attachment disorders from the abuse. Um, Adoption itself is traumatic. I don't care who you are. It is. I mean, there's a maternal separation there. Um, You know, every time I express any concern or feelings of wanting to search for 
you know, answers from my biological family, want to know who I look like, you know, I was, they were always dismissed. And I was told, well, you, why would you care about finding someone who didn't want you? Or you should be a great, grateful that someone wanted you. It's natural to want to know. Imagine growing up in a world where you're the only person that you know you're related to. It sucks. Where do I, I, who do I look like? Where do I get this mannerism from? Where do I get this characteristic from? You still develop these things, even though you're not raised by those parents. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you something. I, I can somewhat relate to that as far as, I mean, not, not to that extent, but um, not knowing my family medical history and, and, and the history of my, of my father's family and everything like that. Um, it's not as severe as, as what you went through, but it was, uh, yeah, you know, they I, wanted I, me to, they wanted the children's home society wanted me to pay $400 for a non-identifying medical information, like $400 for my own information to know if cancer runs in the family or if I'm at risk for breast cancer, like there's so much yeah. fucked up shit in the adoption industry that needs to be changed. You're profiting off of trauma. You're profiting off of children. And it needs to stop. America's like a big money cash cow when it comes to trafficking and using children for gain. Reviewed as property. You know, I work with people in the developmental disabilities field that have a, their own bill of rights. In these programs I went to, we didn't even have our own bill of rights. We had no... Yeah human rights and nobody even adoption even even foster kids have their own bill of rights in some states not all, all over i knew that i know that they do in texas but we don't even have that like there's so much that needs to be changed that i do agree with um and it, it, the system itself needs to be tore down and revamped um it there, there's so much abuse going on in like cps dcfs the adoption systems yeah, uh, I, I, and, and the more I the more I talk to people, the more I connect and network with people, the more I uncover and research things. It just it horrifies me. It really does. This this particular stuff did horrify me as well, because the general consensus for a lot of people, especially when it comes to the faith based programs, is that you're thinking that they're that they're doing good work. You're thinking that these people that that these that these children are getting the help that they need, and stories like yours and Miss Barb's and Susie's and Lacey and Tammy's. I mean, it's it's obviously not the case, and it was a big money scam. Um, yeah, and it's a and, cult. it's a multi million dollar industry. Yeah, politicians, law enforcement got their pockets in it. It's been a hard one to crack, especially faith based programs because you have separation of church and state. Um, pretty much what I would like to talk about on this podcast is what's going on, how to identify how they're getting away with this and where it needs to change and what we can change. I mean, my backstory, I have that on, you know, the other podcasts. I mean, I'll touch base on some of that stuff. I want to talk about some of the rules and stuff because I believe fully it was a cult. I mean, it was started in 1958 with, um, Sinon. And then, you know, Lester Roloff in 1968 start kicked off the whole faith-based programs. Yeah. Um, there's a whole history behind it. <laughs> so, I, mean, I mean, yeah, let's, uh, yeah, for anybody that's listening right now, Sabrina, like, like Sabrina says, she does have her backstory. It's on, uh, on David Keck's podcast called Surviving Abuse, and it's the Rebecca House miniseries. Uh, you'll see there's about five of them in that miniseries, and they also have a roundtable discussion as well. I suggest go listen to all of them. Um, they'll all break your heart like they broke mine. Uh, and I, I mean, they, they horrify me. And so 
but yeah, let's let's dig let's dig into what it was what the rules were like, um, and and the facts and stats and everything as well. Okay. Here we go. All right. I am logged on to my Google Google Chrome my my docs right now because I've got some information in my book. I'm writing currently yeah. writing a book. I'm almost done with it. It is called Dear Renisha: Turning Trauma into Triumph. Um, it'll be available right now um in january on amazon i'm looking for other avenues to sell my book also um yeah and when that information becomes available i'll let you know so well, i definitely i definitely want to i definitely want to buy a signed copy and uh, uh oh, i definitely want to buy a copy and get it signed by you so most definitely all right so let's get to okay hi hunter my son's Came in my room to say hello. Okay. Oh. Where is that? Looking. Sorry. That's okay. Like I said, this is, this is all un- unscripted, uncut, so it's fine. The way it's set up right now, like there's, um, it kind of tells you, um, like an introduction. It, it's got it all lined out, but it won't let me click like directly to it so I gotta scroll yeah all right so let's talk religious cult sex especially the IFB which stands for independent fundamental Baptist okay Okay. yeah so the first definition of what a cult is is a particular system of religious worship especially in reference to its rites and ceremonies the IFB has distinct rites and ceremonies that set it apart from all other denominations This is interesting because the IFB wants to be considered set apart, yet they refuse to acknowledge the consequence of this line of thinking, which is the perception of a cult-like atmosphere. The IFB as a whole has distinct features, traditions, beliefs that set it apart from other denominations. The simple fact is that IFBers consider themselves to be independent and fundamental, separated from all else in Christianity. The IFB fits the definition of a cult by its regard for and reference towards particular traditions, beliefs, and teachings that are currently considered by most in Christianity to be unorthodox and extreme. So So we're going to go down. Yes. So when I was pretty much when I left the program, I had no critical thinking skills because all Mm -hmm. my thinking was done for me. All I knew how to do was obey cook and clean all the makings to become a submissive housewife right so what is the trouble teen industry the trouble trouble teen industry is a term for different facilities for the troubled youth that represents a multi-million dollar industry in the united states these facilities are sometimes referred to as boot camps wilderness therapy secured group homes teen ranches reform schools emotional growth boarding schools therapeutic boarding schools Religious boarding schools, conversion therapy, behavior modification schools, and residential treatment centers. These programs market themselves to parents, therapists, state and judicial agencies, and insurance companies as providers of therapeutic treatment for almost every problem. These programs often claim to treat or be experts in an impossibly diverse and broad myriad of mental health diagnosis and behavioral issues okay when i was in my program i saw girls that would come in 
high on drugs, coming off of drugs. We had no drug counselors. There was no drug counselors. There was no medical staff. When you got sick, they prayed for you, gave you some echinacea, and called it a day. What's um, echinacea? Echinacea is an all-natural um, herb that is used for, like, to help with, like, illness, um, inflammation. You can use it when um, you get sick with the flu. It's supposed to help. It never okay. helped. It didn't do anything. Um, right. We got Epsom salt. They would make you drink Epsom salt and water. I what have no, heck? I have no idea. I can't even tell you the reason why, but it was something that we had to do. We had to take laxatives. I remember my first time in the program when I was 11, they were, they came up and asked me, when's the last time you had a bowel movement? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't keep track of my shits, you know? So I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like three days ago, they're like, oh, it's been past three days. And they gave me this little cup that had these little brown ball beads things. And they're like, you need to take this. Well, I am absolutely terrified of swallowing pills because I used to get tonsillitis all the time when I was little. Well, yeah. my aunt Sherrod, who was a nurse at the time, you would think as a RN, you would know, oh, she's sick. She has strep throat. She needs antibiotics. No, she never took me to the doctor. She would just give me vitamin C. And if you know how big a vitamin C tablet is, when your throat is yes. swollen, it's hard to swallow those. So I would pocket them in my cheek yeah. and then spit them out and hide them underneath my pillow. She caught me doing that, so she started crushing them up in a spoon. It would make me swallow and put honey on top. Uh, and then I could feel the dust from the vitamin choking in the back of my throat. So that created a fear of choking on pills for me. Right. Not to mention the fact that, you know, my adopted mother tried to water – well, she didn't try. She did. She waterboarded me with a two-liter bottle of ginger ale because I drank a glass of it without her permission. So, uh, you know, there was no medical – medical care in these programs at all um i watched a girl pass out and they waited like three or four hours before they even took her to the hospital um let me guess they prayed, let, me, let me guess they prayed about it first i actually the one of the staff members was waiting on the one of the the, the house mother that ran that or ran the dorm to get back from the grocery store and then she tried to force feed this girl grapefruit juice as she was you know unconscious from what passing out from doing hours of wood pile where you had to carry a log from one point of the yard to the other part of the yard, drop it, pick it back up, carry it for hours without any kind of break in the hot sun in Tennessee during the summer months. And she passed out. You know, they would yeah. do extreme punishments, um, use calisthenics where you would do exercises for hours. Um, what we like to call standing on the wall. Um, where you have your back turned up against the wall, you're in squat position, your arms are straight out in front of you or beside you. And sometimes if they were beside you out, out arm's length, they'd put books or bricks or cans in your hands to hold and create weight to make it harder yeah. for you to stay still. Um, so let's get into some of the rules. Let me find my list of rules here. Um, they were really sadistic. I remember one time when I was at my one program, Bethel, uh, they had us actually pick cotton. And I thought they, they had us pick cotton. I remember talking to another girl who was also of color. And I was like, this is the most racist shit I've ever experienced. And she was like, yeah. And, you know, we said, okay. So they, you know, we told them, you know, we're not slaves. We're not going to pick cotton. And, yeah. uh, we were told it would come natural and easy to us, you know, and another girl complained and he said, you know what we do to your kind down here. 
Uh, so I was like, I'm gonna pick this cotton. <laughs> I'm not getting beat. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, <Yeah. laughs> you know. So we lived in fear. They ruled us by fear, and they used all their punishments for fear tactics to break you down and wear you down, so that you couldn't fight and you would just obey. So, in the troubled teen programs, um, a list of things that they would do as far as punishments. Um, are not limited to the following food and sleep deprivation use of isolation solidary confinement rooms forced to eat bodily fluids emotional physical and essay dangerous use of chemical physical mechanical restraint methods yeah punitive use of restraints force and excessive exercise military methods of discipline forced labor Deprivation of base, basic necessities such as food, water, sleep, access to a restroom, restricted social interaction or social organiz- uh, organization, exposure to harsh elements like extreme heat, snow, or rain, use of attack therapy, group attack therapy, aversion therapy, or conversion therapy, um, sexual shaming or for for sexual behavior, sexual abuse to be a part of treatment. Peer hierarchies where children are responsible for punishing and restraining each other. That that happened a lot in the okay. programs I went to. So they would um, have these girls that were there for longer periods of time that you would level up as a helper or a leader. And mm-hmm. then when someone got in trouble and rack, they would keep track of your demerits and they could give you demerits for whatever reason. So if you looked at them wrong and they thought you had attitude or you forgot to say yes, ma'am, or they just didn't like the way you said ma- yes, ma'am, they would give you demerits. And for each demerit was an exercise, like an hour of exercise that you would get. And then if you racked up so many demerits then you would get um, put on red shirt, um, which was a discipline where you got your basic human rights you know denied um uh, I was so, forced... how, so yeah how, how so in that and how, how, how did you get your basic human rights denied wearing a red shirt okay so with red shirt that's all you could wear um mm-hmm. you weren't allowed to wear anything else you wore that on repeat um your shower privileges were taken away so you couldn't use shampoo conditioner razor soap you you weren't allowed to shower you weren't allowed to brush your teeth um, your sleep privileges were um, denied. Uh, I was only allowed to sleep from the hours of 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. for one hour on a bed that didn't have any sheets, pillow, or blanket. It had plastic because they did not want me to sink up their mattress from not being able to shower for about two and a half, almost three months. Um, yeah. I had to stand with my nose at the end of my bunk bed all night long while the other girls slept. And they had another girl stay up all night to make sure that I stayed awake. Um, yeah. Um, I was given bread and water at one program, peanut butter and honey sandwiches. Then they soon took peanut butter and honey away and gave us peanut butter and butter sandwiches and a glass of powdered milk. Jesus. So... So pretty much, yeah, like they, they just use those things to keep you, keep you broken, keep you down. And I got to the point where after, you know, a few months I was like, you know, I'm taking a shower. I'm taking a shower. So I stole some girl shampoo and I was like, come get me out the shower. Like I'm taking a shower. Um, I was dragged out the shower um, by 
other girls and Bill McNamara by my hair and my arms um, dragged into his house where they held me down as he shined a flashlight in my eyes, told me I was demon possessed, poured half a bottle of dish soap down my throat as I'm choking on it and vomiting, you know, up bubbles and soap. Then, you know, mocked at, made fun of, was told to stop screaming because I would wake up his daughter and he had the other girls sing, uh, you know, songs from the Bible or from hymnals to drown out my screams. You know, I was called worthless. I was called... Um, am I allowed to say whore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. yeah, it was just it was just anything racial. You, you can't. Okay, say gotcha. Okay. Um. So he pretty much told me I was gonna uh, end up just like my sister Beverly, and I, you know, would amount to pretty much nothing but ending up laying on my back. Um, I was fourteen at the time. Yeah. Um, a couple of days later, I was allowed to shower all of a sudden, and I was given my sheets back and my comforter, my clothes and I was like what's going on like hmm, maybe he felt bad for what he did and then I was called into um, it was like a trailer that they had on the property mm-hmm. um, so I went in there and there's a lady sitting there in a the chair and um, brother McNamara and his wife is standing there and the lady's like hi I'm so and so from children's services and you know one thing that children's services needs to stop doing is asking kids if they've been abused in front of their abuser like, don't yeah. you know by now that we're being groomed not to say anything? Like, are you are you kidding me? We don't feel believed. We're traumatized. Stop doing that. So, right. of course, you know, I didn't speak up because I was like, they're not going to believe me. They're going to counteract everything I say. Like, they've done let me take a shower, stupidly. Like, you know what I mean? You know, so they've, yeah. they've covered up their tracks. Like, so... Uh, she asked me if I had any family. I was around 15 at this time and, um, or, or no, about to turn 15 at the time. Um, and, uh, I said, you know, my adopted mom died when I was 13. Um, my adopted dad's in a mental institution slash nursing home. My older brothers are in prison. I haven't talked to them since I was a little girl. I haven't seen my sister since I was 14. Uh, or no, yeah, right, right before I came to the program, I was like, I haven't been in contact with her. I'm not a lot of contact out of nowhere. So yeah. she's like, where can we send you? And I remember seeing this really funny preacher at all these revivals that we would go to. His name was Jack Patterson. And he had a lot of jokes and all this stuff. I said, send me to his girl's home. You know, they, they all look happy. So I went to Jack Patterson's place. Now, I also thought for a long time that this place wasn't as bad because we could watch movies. Our clothes wasn't as hideous as the other programs. We could use wear makeup. We could, you know, paint our nails. Like, there were certain things. But it was still abusive. It was the same shit. And it was all from Lester Roloff. So anytime, if you were to Google or look up Jack Patterson, you're going to hear him in his preaching uh, sermons always talk about Lester Roloff because he idolizes him. Jack Patterson used to work for Lester Roloff. Um, So... there's that you know all the programs that i went to all were lesser roll-off spinoff homes they all broke off and you know kind of adapted some of the same rules or um same ideologies and beliefs you maybe tweak them a little bit to their liking like bethel was another lesser roll-off school but it was ran like a military school yeah um 
so Charity Haven was a, a, another spinoff of Lester Roloff. Like Lester Roloff had all these crazy rules where like you couldn't have caffeine, you couldn't have drink coffee, you couldn't eat pork, you couldn't use black pepper, you had to use red cayenne pepper. Um, all wait, these wait, different wait, crazy- wait, you, could, yes. you couldn't use black pepper. Why? Uh, actually, you know, Barb would be a good person to ask that Get question. Why? I, yeah, I never even questioned it. I was just like, okay. That's that's fine. Y'all don't season y'all's food, <laughs> right? <laughs> y'all, y'all, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to go maybe into that this, subject. Maybe right. Maybe this spicy pepper, you know, might might heaten these things up a little bit. I'll go with the hot pepper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that 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 just I know out, out of all the fucked up shit that you that you're telling me, I'm like, wait, what? No black pepper? I mean <laughs> no, no black like, pepper. That's just so fucking odd. It's like, you know, uh the sky's blue, the grass is green, and uh water ain't wet. And you're like, what? And, uh, <laughs> or you know, it's just it's just it just it just speaks out. I don't know why. I just I'm just like, what the fuck? It was no just pepper? it was just they had some stupid rules. So let's go over yeah. some of the rules, okay? All right. Yeah. So we went over what um, red shirt was so a girl could get punished for anything for demerits with running laps for each demerit earned but or by being locked in a prayer room and being put on what's called red shirt yeah. these behaviors that would result in demerits um, specifically were printed and given out the first day there the rules were in a small handbook and we were required to memorize them in three days of our three-day grace period or to get more accumulated accumulated with the rules and, and policies. Yeah. Talking about worldly things such as television shows, secular literature, or old friends. So you weren't right. allowed to talk about growing up in the fifth grade. Like stupid shit. You're, right. Anything. So hold on, but hold on. But before we go any further. So some people don't understand because not everybody that's going to be listening to this podcast comes from yeah, a religious no, background the way of life. Right. So so what do you mean by secular? What like like what type of secular literature? Secular uh, literature would be like anything that is a book, magazine, any kind of literature that is not about the faith that they're trying to teach you about, which was religion, Jesus. The King James okay. Bible. So anything that was not referring or that they thought deemed of God, you were not allowed to associate with. So there was no television shows like um, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah. Um, the Simpsons. That was worldly. Power Rangers. I mean, you can watch Hocus Pocus because there's witches in it. You know? Yeah. No, yeah, no, no stop, literature. Stop. Yeah. I've, I've, I've heard of the... Oh, when, so like when me and you are the same age. So when Harry Potter came out, you know, uh, a lot of the church, um, our church that we went to, was big about you know not watching harry potter i mean they were like it, it, it's demonic it's witchcraft you know it's teaching our kids to be open to the occult and everything like that you don't watch it i mean that, that they, they told that to us in our church and my mom felt like such a rebel and everything like that like i felt kind of like almost doing something wrong watching harry potter with my mom one day she was like oh, let's just watch it. you know it's, it's real it's worldwide famous you know and everything like that i mean hell these fucking people said you know pokemon cards were demonic you know mm-hmm. i mean shit uh, you cabbage know, patch whole... dolls. I remember a sermon what? about cabbage patch dolls. Yeah, they said they were demon possessed cabbage patch dolls. So, like, I was obsessed with cabbage patch dolls when I was a kid. I had Rainbow Bright, Cabbage Patch, you know, uh, yeah, had... Polly Pocket, my Tamagotchi, like, all these things were really. Yeah. I had, I, you know, I had the Legos and GI Joes, and, and I, I think I had I a Tamagotchi a... pet. I wasn't yeah, even I allowed to keep my Barbies when I went into the program because keep in mind now, people. I was 11 years old when I went into the program. I still watch Saturday morning cartoons, Animaniacs. Yeah. I was a huge freak about uh, Archie and the Gang comics. Okay. Yeah. 
uh, Batman X-Men was the shit. I wanted to be like yes. Storm. Okay, Storm oh, was my Gambit. idol growing up. Okay, Gambit was my I favorite. Had, I had, you know, American Girl books. I had American Girl doll. I had dolls. I was still playing with dolls when I got sent to this place. And they took my Barbies away because their skirts were too short or they had boobs. Um, yeah. You know, they didn't like the outfits that they had. I was allowed to keep my Samantha doll from the American What's Girl. Um, so, so there's this company called American Girl and they have books and movies and dolls from these characters. And one of them was Samantha from mm-hmm. like the Victorian age era and um, her family passes away. She moves in with the aunt or something. And they, yeah. it, it, there's like a series of books. And I got the doll yeah. one year for Christmas from the Jacksonville Jaguars when they donated Christmas to us because we was poor. And uh, I, I, I got to keep this doll and that was the only doll I could keep. I couldn't keep none of my books like babysitters club, sweet Valley twins and friends, Hardy boys, um, Junie B and they I couldn't have any of those books and I was an avid reader and here I was like here you go read this bible I'm like uh fuck this shit like I don't want to I don't want to read this you know I'm pretty much I'm I'm very much uh tell it like it is and I have no filter and I was just you could see even if I didn't say it you could see the look on my face of uh this sucks and I was always getting trouble for my mouth because I just was like you're gonna hear what I have to say (laughs) like you know this is messed up we weren't allowed to sing any songs that were not gospel songs. And that even went towards like contemporary Christian music. So the difference between like contemporary Christian and hymnal music. So contemporary Christian is more at beat. You use modern um, instruments like drums, the guitar, and it has more of a secular sound to it. It like sounds like rock music or rap music or pop music, but the lyrics are about Jesus, right? We right. weren't even allowed to listen to that. It was old school hymnals, baby. Like that's what we, you know. Oh God, yeah. Like, this rugged cross. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, those with, with yeah. horrible, horrible singing. Like there was no music behind it. No, all of, our, all of our singing tapes sounded so monotone because, like, there might have been like maybe one girl that could carry a tune in the whole group. Like you know, what I mean? it was bad. Um, yeah. So we weren't allowed to speak to each other. I'm 11. I'm a motor mouth, as you can tell. So imagine me at 11 years old, ADHD, going 90 miles an hour, like the Energizer Bunny, not allowed to talk. So I was always in trouble for talking. How is that supposed to help a child not talk? Like, how is that, like, some of these things as I'm thinking about it, if I did this crap to my kids, I'd be sitting in a jail cell right now. Right, yeah, a lot of parents why is it okay? Like, you know what I mean? If this shit really worked, then just tell parents what you need to do. I mean, you don't need to send your kids away and, you know, pay $10,300 a month. All you got to do is tell them not to talk. Yeah. <laughs> so simple, you know? huh? yeah. yeah. We weren't allowed yeah. to doodle. So I was always drawing. I was in a lot of doodle draw, um, nail biting, thumb sucking. I was a thumb sucker. Always in trouble for sucking my thumb. They would dip my uh, thumbs in the hot pepper sauce. Little did they know that, you know, I like hot stuff. So yes, <laughs> that didn't face yes. me at all. Right. You know, um, looking at boys in church, um, I'm 11. I was not interested in boys at all. But like sitting there in chapel, listening to, you know, one of the directors, like Bill McNamara's Stern Calls Dirty Whores and Sinners and how we're sluts. 
And I'm like sitting here like I never had sex, so yeah. like you, you know what I mean, like right, I, yeah, like yeah. It, 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 I mean, it's it's just like it's just like you know somebody growing up gay, going to church and everything like that, being called abomination, you know, being called an abomination for who they love, you know. Yeah, um, it's that's same, another thing. Same. They yeah. would call me abomination because I was half black, half white. They'd call me mud, yeah. Oreo, the N word, N baby. Yeah. I was told that I was paying for everything that ba- that was bad going on with my life and why I was there was because I was paying for the sins of my parents for mixing races. I had no no control over who my parents, you know, decided to procreate with. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I'm sitting here listening to this crap. I'm like, oh, my God. Um, Failing yeah. to snitch on other sinners. So if you saw a girl say or do something and you didn't tell a tell, like, you would get in trouble for it. Um, being too close to another girl. So we had the we had a six inch rule. So we couldn't hug. There was no embracing. There was no touching hands. There was nothing. Um, there was no touch. Um, it it was very secluded off. Yeah, um, there's no there's no to love. This day, nothing, yeah, yeah. To this day, I struggle with saying I love you to people. Like my daughter, for the longest time, I do better now. Um, but she was like, I never feel, I don't feel like you love me. I was like, why? And I, you know, start to mention all these things I bought for her, paid for her, all these things I've done. And she's like, no, but you never say it. And yeah. I was like, I'm sorry. It's hard for me because I never heard that growing up. And my husband struggles with saying it to our kids. So, you know, we had to work on that. Um, now I'm, I'm always the first one to say, I love you. And then my daughter's like, oh my God, you say it like all the time. I'm like, well, you was doing that to me, you know? Yeah. Um, but I'm still not a big hugger. So, like, if I hug right. someone, know that I mean it because I'm not. And I'm trying better with that to hug somebody, hug people. Yeah. But it's just for going so long um, without any kind of affection. When someone tried to show affection, I questioned it. Right. What are your motives? What are you trying to do to me? I don't trust you. Oh, this doesn't feel natural. And, and that, I thought and, it was wrong. And, and see, for something like that, that to me, I'm I'm quite the opposite on that end as far as, like, I am a hugger. And then... I do yeah, have to say, kind of stop my, yeah, I have to stop myself because I'm like, okay, are they comfortable with me hugging them? That's why, I, that's why when I go up to somebody and I, 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 like, if I meet a Facebook friend and I never met them in real life, right? And I go, hey, you want, can I, they'll, they'll reach out to give me a hand. I'm like, come on, give me a hug. I'm a hugger. And, and they're like, well, I'm not a hugger. Okay, fine. I'll shake your hand. But, but I, uh, cause I do love people. I generally love people for the most part. And I know that there are good, there are good people in this world. And I might help. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. And, and and one thing about me is that I might you know I might love people to a fault, right? As far as um, I'm, I'm you know hard on your sleeves, a little too trusting to that sort of nature, and I'm learning to be not as trusting. But I, it, it's a slippery slope we walk down on, right? And you know because you you have you have to not trust people based on your traumas and the fact that you know how evil people can be. Me, I'm being told by people you know, these type of stories like yourselves and everything is pretty much somebody saying, Hey, don't put your hand in the fire. Don't put your hand in the fire. And of course my dumb ass will go put my hand in that fire and I'll be like, Oh, I got burned, you know? So yeah. go ahead. Um, one thing that helped me with the whole learning, like, like touch and being comfortable with touch was having kids, you know, they, they, they crave that yeah. they need that attention. And then when I found my biological family, you know, they were, they're all big huggers. And, you know, at first it was weird and awkward. I was like, Ooh, do I hug them? Do I hug them? Not hug them? Like, yeah. you know, so now I'm okay with it, but, um, and, uh, you know, we did, they had another rule of uh, falling asleep at any point during the day you would get in trouble for. 
If you were a new girl arriving within the past 30 days, you cannot make eye contact with another new girl. So when you came in, if you was new, you had a buddy that you was assigned to that you had to follow around for three to six months up until they trust you or whatever. And they were like, oh, well, this is another new girl. You're not allowed to look at each other. No talking. Direct disobedience. So if they told you to do something, you did the opposite. That was direct disobedience. Refusal yeah. to sing in church or choir practice. Um, we had several girls who came to these programs that weren't even affiliated with a religion or didn't come from that religion. We had an Amish yeah. girl. We had a girl whose family was atheist. And they all had to participate in the religious side. And I thought it was so messed up. They'd be like, you know, someone of a different faith who was Jewish or, you know, coming in. And they 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 had to participate in all these religious things that, you know, was the opposite of their religion or their faith or what they believed in. Refusal to pray, refusal to read the Bible, memorize assigned Bible verses and chapter verses of the Bible. That is indoctrination. You're yeah. forcing religion down children's throats. You're forcing religion to help treat a tra trauma child. If a kid's coming to you because they were on drugs. I'm sorry, but memorizing Bible verses and praying and choir practice is not going to help them right. kick that habit. You're not going to take and take 17 years of hurt and fix it in 18 to two years or however long the program's for with yeah. forcing religion. Um, you were assigned a buddy that you had to follow around at all times as they helped you get accumulated with the rules and daily routines. The buddy was called a helper. Yeah. This was a carryover name from the Lester Roloff Homes. Back in the 1970s, the older girls' homes were called Help Hers Home. Right. And the 16-year-old and older girls were trained to make the younger girls follow and even enforce the rules with punishments the girls themselves were forced to administer. Once you learn these rules, then Charity Haven added more. No talking after lights out, not finishing all your food. So whatever amount of food they put on your plate, you had to eat it all. If not, they would force feed you. Um, they also have what's called the check second chance meal, where if you vomited that food, they would force feed you your vomit. Oh, yes. my God. Um, but having well, a bad attitude. Well, hold on. So let's backtrack <laughs> just a, a second. Um, you were given a helper and everything like that, right? What, what, mm -hmm. what, what was your relationship like with your helper? Um... I really honestly don't even remember her that much. Um, but I just remember being talkative a lot um, mm -hmm. and always getting in trouble for being like, she kind of like, I think felt bad for me because some of the girls, like my sister was in that program. And then when I came to that program right before I came, uh, she got moved to Texas. So they knew I was Bev Davis's little sister. So a lot of girls didn't really exactly necessarily picked on me because they knew who my sister was. My sister yeah. was one of those fuck around and find out. And even yeah. after she gets out the program, she's coming after you if you fuck with her little sister. Like, that was my sister. Yeah. So, I really didn't have a bad experience being bullied at Charity Haven because a lot of the girls kind of, like, felt bad for me. But what – it was kind of, like, be killed or, or, or do the killing. It was like, well, you know, I, if I don't divvy out these demerits or this punishment, I'm going to get in trouble. So, I understand right. where they – where they came from like you know some girls felt sorry for me and gave me breaks and that kind of stuff um there was an incident where um when i was in the prayer room it was a room that was carpeted and had a bench connected to the wall a hard bench the whole wall and everything was carpeted there was a little tiny plexiglass window and a closet in there 
and there was nothing in the closet besides a pole. And I was stuck in that room for about two and a half, two and a half months. Cause I was, I spent about three months at charity Haven before they shipped me off to Bethel. Yeah. And, um, they, uh, two, uh, I was taken, um, by two girls and they washed and conditioned my hair. Cause I hadn't washed my hair with nothing but a bar of soap. So in charity Haven, when you got your shower privileges taken away, you just couldn't have luxuries. So we still were able to take showers. Thank God. Um, but, yeah. um, at the Rebecca home for girls, uh, that you, you, this shower privileges was taken away, like completely no showers. Like they would even lock you up in an isolation room at the old dorm in Rebecca and there would be girls that would smell so bad you could smell them down the hallway. Um, now, when we went to when I when it shut down and reopened as New Beginnings and rebranded, um, there was no isolation room, so eh, you stunk up the whole dorm. Like I, I had girls complaining, and I'm sitting there crying because I don't want to smell bad. Like you know what I mean? So, yeah. but yeah, so it, it just was crazy. Uh, um, when I went to Bethel. Um, the, my, my helper, my buddy back, th back then, they called them leaders. Um, she mm -hmm. used me as her human punching bag. She beat the fucking shit out of me all the time. She was 16 years old. She was from Anaheim, kind of California. And she used to beat me up all the time. I actually ran away. The first time I ran away was because she used to beat me up and they would do nothing about it. They thought it was funny. They would have fight kid clubs. They would force the boys to box each other for sports. Wow. In a, in a yeah. boxing ring outside. Like, it was cruel. They would stick pit bulls on them and, and stuff. So they thought that this stuff was funny. And then when I got caught and was, t you know, they asked me why I ran away. I was like, well, Amy beats the crap out of me all the time. You guys don't do anything about it. Like, why would I want to stay here when I'm getting beat on all the time? Like, yeah. she would just walk up to me and smash my face into a glass picture that was hanging on the wall just for looking at her. Jeez. <clears throat> So some of the other rules, um, having a bad attitude, negativity, not being positive at all, forgetting to wear a slip, which many of us girls were not accustomed to. We weren't allowed to wear any kind of pants. Yeah. Um, we It was skirts to your ankles, culottes, baggy t-shirts. We even wore skirts Coulots. in the wintertime. Culottes. Coulots. Yeah. Oh, culottes or culottes? Culottes. Yeah, what, what are those? So culottes look like pants, but it looks like it's it's like pants, but it looks like a skirt. So you can't tell oh, okay. if it's you know what I mean. So it's like oh, our I version of wearing long shorts. I got um, you. Okay. Communication. So like you couldn't communicate with anybody. Uh, speaking of anything worldly was forbidden, as in singing worldly songs. Meeting eyes with boys in church was barred. Letters going in and out of the home were read first by staff and censored. And you had to write letters once a week to your family, whether you wanted to or not. So like me, my family would never write me back. And when they did, it was just how I needed to get saved and how I was a horrible child and blah, 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 blah. So I yeah. hated writing letters to my family because they never wrote me back and I still had to write letters. Um, Phone calls, which would be placed only to immediate family members, were monitored. If any negativity concerning the home was brought up, the call would be disconnected immediately. Did you there ever try? Did so? Did you ever try to, to to say it like on your first phone calls? No, because okay. um, I didn't get very many phone calls. So the first phone call I got, I was at Charity Haven, and I had been in the prayer room, and I was being defiant. I tried to hang myself with my T-shirt um in the closet and i didn't my t-shirt wasn't long enough and it fell 
I fell like it slipped. Yeah. I slipped and fell. They heard the boom, the bang through the wall of me falling, came in, see me on the ground. Da da da. I'm crying. Like, I don't want to be here. I want to die. Like, I hate my life, you know? Yeah. Like, my parents done shit me off. They don't care about me. What's the point? Like, what's the point? I like hate, like, hate my life, you know? At this point, you understand. I'd already been, you know, given up from my biological mother who didn't want me. My adopted mom didn't want me. She didn't care about me, abused me. This place was abusing me. Like, what's the point? You know, 11 years old, already wanting to die. Um, so all they did was pray over me and like try to exercise my demons and play preaching sermons and, um, sing songs and stuff. And then the next day they had me go get in a van with no shoes on and drove me to Bethel Boys and Girls Academy in Loosedale, Mississippi, a military school. Yeah. So I was there for about a year. And then one day they called me and told me to go to Herman Fountain Senior's house. Um, he owned and operated the program. And he was like, um, I need you to go pack your stuff. You're going home. I'm like, what? Like, cause I hadn't had no phone calls from my family. So I'm shocked. Like I'm, I'm going home. Like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going home. And I see this car pull up. And the first person I recognized was my neighbor, Frank. And he's like 73 years old. I'm like, Frank, what are you doing here? And he's like, go say hi to your dad. And my dad gets out the driver's seat and I don't even recognize him. Dude, he had gained at least 150 pounds. Like he was huge. Like I, I yeah. did not know who this person was. And his health was failing because he'd never go home and take a shower. He wasn't eating and exercising. He would just stay by Mary's bedside because she was sick and dying at this point. So I was yeah. going home. Because Mary was dying. And that's the only reason that they were bringing me home. Um, I, I remember that first night in the hotel room. We stayed at some like Red Roof Inn motel. It's like, you know, in the hood. Um, yeah. And I remember my dad, my adopted father, and Frank slept in one bed and I had my own. And I couldn't sleep that night because I was so scared that Bethel was going to come back and come get me. And that this wasn't real. And I stayed awake looking out the window the whole night because I was so scared that they were going to come back and pick me up and take me. Um, and I never really spoke about the trauma other than with my sister, Beverly, when yeah. I came back home because she had been in the programs. And I was like, hey, like this and this happened. This happened when you at your program. So my sister, she actually left the program and she was um, almost 18 years old, still 17. Um, she had ran away from the program. When the cops picked her up, Bill McNamara, who was working for Victory Acres at the time, Dave Walkden, um, yeah. said to Beverly at the police station, when you get back, we're going to be, be, beat you. And so the cops overheard that, went back to go do a wild welfare, a, a child welfare, welfare. check. And found bruises all over my sister. So that program got shut down. But they reopened up and rebranded in North Carolina. <clears throat> which I eventually would go back to that program. They kind of tossed you back and forth around. And my yeah. family was one of those that never paid tuition. So why would you keep such a, a child that was defiant if you're not making money and profiting off of them, right? Right. So, um, anyways... <laughs> So, so how so how were they getting money off of you then if if your parents and all that weren't paying for it? They weren't. Like, they would send checks sometimes. Sometimes they would. Sometimes they wouldn't. We actually had, like, a commissary where if you needed shampoo, conditioner, pads, 
yeah. clothing. You had to you had to have money in your account. I never had money in my account, so I would often like have to trade with girls, which we weren't supposed to do, but we'd do it anyways. Or I would wait until a girl was about to leave, and she'd give her stuff away to certain girls. And a lot of girls would feel sorry for me. They would give me their things. Um, there was one program, Reclamation Ranch, where the Miss Trudy. Um, when the staff members felt bad for me, she, she started paying for my birthdays, my Christmases. And that was the only program where I kind of felt somewhat a little bit cared for, but it was, it was grooming. It was groomed. You know, they do bad things to you. Then they reward you and be nice to you. So that they didn't feel like the bad guy, you know, and I yeah. didn't realize that for a long time. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, it was, it was like physical and mental abuse grooming. Yeah. So none of the conversations in the program were private at all. Since staff listened in on the intercoms that were installed in every bedroom or the dorm, the staff could listen to each room separately. They could also talk through the intercoms into the rooms that any of the girls they believe were talking. Um, I'm sorry, this my thing. The punishment yeah. for disobeying were, would be licks, where you would be spanked with a wooden paddle. Sometimes yeah. um, a rod from a set of blinds was used, belts. Um, Confinement, spinning weeks, hanging your head down without speaking or making eye contact with anyone. Um, the punishment, red shirt, uh, or discipline. Um, uh, sometimes you would be sitting on the wall where you would be required to sit suspended above the floor as if there was a chair beneath it um, mm -hmm. with the back up against the wall. We had talked about that. Yeah. Um, punishments would just vary, um, whatever they felt like doing, they would do to you. Um, kneeling, you would be ordered to kneel and have to put two Bibles resting on each, uh, palm outstretched with pencils wedged in between the legs. Um, we talked about the luxury privileges being taken away. So like at this point at Charity Haven, um, they only gave us one rubber band, a small black comb, and a bar of gold dial soap to wash your hair and your body with. And you weren't allowed to shave. Yes. So I have thick, curly hair, and I need yeah. conditioner. Like, it's it's a necessity in my life. And imagine my hair was so matted I couldn't even comb it. And they didn't know anything about hair. Like, you know, these girls were, I'm sitting there crying, and they felt bad for me. And so they took me out of the prayer room and washed and conditioned my hair. Jeez. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just... God, it's fucking horrible. I know, I mean, all of this is, is horrible. I mean, shit, like, nobody deserves to be treated this way. I mean, fuck, even prisoners get better treatment than this. Oh, I know, I know. They have at least their own, you know, Bill of Rights. Yeah. Um, you had to attend church twice a day. Demir twice a day? twice a day twice yeah. a day so we would do like chapel so some of the programs you would do it but for the majority of the roll-off programs we had chapel um yeah. twice a day um we go to church services on wednesday evenings sunday morning sunday nights um yeah. when i so was like at what, so like wednesday service was like youth group and all that stuff like that or just a regular service just a regular service sometimes some of the programs we went to regular churches in the community like a home-based church that supported mm -hmm. the program and some of them we had no church and the church was there on the property and they would just preach if that meant yeah. they were the pastor. Um, so it just right. kind of depended on which program um, it was. And we would also go on what was called tour. And this is where the benefits trafficking comes in. 
Now, right. for the most part, when you're a child going into this program, your parents are signing a piece of paper giving temporary guardianship up. I don't know how legal this is. I don't know if lawyers are involved, um, but that's normally how they do it. Um, so we would go in a bus or a van and go to different states, different churches in different cities. We would sing in these churches, quote scripture, and give our testimonies and tell them, you know, and often these testimonies were written for us like, oh, I was in sin really bad. And before I got into the program and I didn't want to get saved, like there's a clip that I did on TikTok that that video where that girl is yeah. talking and she's like, you know, God wouldn't let me sleep or eat. And I just, you know, didn't want to die in this car crash in this van and be the only one to die and go to hell. That is code for. Um, they're not letting me eat or sleep. Not God's not going to use food as punishment. God is not going to use sleep deprivation as punishment. Um, that, that's things that they were doing to us to break us down. Um, <clears throat> so let's see. Uh, let's go through these. Um, the program itself uh, you're, you're pretty much your day to day. You would wake up around 6 a.m. Uh, you would have to read your Bible for an hour. And then we would have like song practice, memorize scripture practice, quote practice. Then you would go get ready for the day. Brush your teeth, fix your hair, put your deodorant on. Um, they would do like morning set of showers, evening set of showers. Um, uh, you would then do morning chores. Everyone got a list of chores that had to clean and then you would eat breakfast and then we would go to school. We would go to school. School started around 8.30 in the morning and then we would have lunch around 11 or 12. Then we would go back to school till 3, 3.30, got out of school. If you had demerits, then that was your time to go run off your demerits or do whatever punishment it was for your demerits. Then the rest of the girls would do their chores or have their relaxation rec time. Um, and then we would do lunch or do dinner. And then after dinner, it was either chapel or some sort of like Bible study, memorize scripture, choir practice. If you were a night shower, you got your night shower and then it was bedtime. And it was the same thing every day on repeat other than when we got to go on tour and go to these different churches and visit these different cities. Um, Oftentimes, sometimes we would sleep on the bus without showering for a few days. I remember be, having to use like a bottle of water to that I was drinking out just to brush my teeth. Um, oh. Yeah. So, and, and they were very high on grooming and hygiene, but then they lacked, we lacked the resources for grooming and hygiene, which was extremely oh. crazy. We couldn't even yeah. have, there was no individuality at all. Like some of the programs we had to wear our hair half up half down the same style there was no um curling iron tools no straighteners i remember at bethel we were um straightening our hair using our actual irons and an iron ironing board we would straighten what? each other's hair like that jesus yeah because we couldn't have flat irons because they thought we would use the flat irons to hurt ourselves but you give us a regular iron that we iron our clothes with Make yeah, no you can sense. do a whole hell of a lot more damage to somebody. Right, I mean, right. Whether, whether it be turned on or turned off, you hit somebody in the face with a with a flat iron. I mean, you're gonna knock them the fuck out. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say whether or not I know that from personal experience, but I'm just gonna leave it to y'all's yeah. imagination. Yeah. yeah. 
um, um they would uh they just there's just a lot of stupid stuff like you would get in trouble for farting passing gas like i remember when i was 16 and i went to go live with the comley family they would fart all the time and do the whole pull my finger and then they'd fart and i'm like yeah. no gross and they were like you never fart why don't you fart and i couldn't tell them like well we got in trouble for that the program so i'd hold it wait till i was away from everybody or go to the bathroom or step outside and do my little toot toot and come back in you know like that's yeah. crazy you know why, and, so why would I could... the family so um by this point i was at jack patterson's program the last program i was in and we yeah. had traveled to eaton ohio and there was a family at the church we visited called gateway baptist church and I was up there giving my little testimony and the family um, was sitting in the, you know, the congregation and the, the woman, Holly had thought to herself, she was like, well, this kind of sucks. This poor girl's in this program and she didn't even do anything to get sent here. Like she came from, you know, a messed up childhood. Well, half of us went to her house after Sunday morning service for lunch and relaxation in between services. And the other half, I think went to pastor sparks house, the pastor of the church. And while the girls were like taking naps or watching movies, I played with her daughter who was about eight years old. We played games and karaoke. She had developmental disabilities and she was also biracial. And um, there wasn't, you know, growing up, I didn't know too many kids who were like me, you know, like it, you know, growing up in the 90s, early 2000s, like, you know, being around other people who are biracial was rare for me. Um, So, you know, we just kind of connected and then we wrote letters back and forth to each other. Well, then one day, Miss True or the Comleys reached out because Holly said she felt it heavy on her heart. Um, She said she always felt that she, since she met me, that she was meant to be my mom. Um, so I moved in with the family. They asked if I could live with them. And Miss Tree's like, I feel like, you know, you need a regular family. You don't deserve to be here, but I wanted to be the one to adopt you. But, um, this family can, you know, if you lived with me, it was still like you being in the program. Like you would still have to do the thing. You would still have the same amount of rules as the other girls. So that's yeah. not really so they let me go live with the Conleys and my aunt at the time who had custody of me because my aunt shared one passing away while I was at the ranch so her mom actually was given awarded custody so she must have been like yeah sure okay let her go live there or something I don't really know how that went down so they flew me from Alabama to Ohio and I lived with the Conleys for about six months um it was really awkward because I felt forced. Like I was forced to call them mom and dad. Um, oh, wow. If I didn't and I called them and I messed up and said Holly and Jeff or Mr. and Mrs. Comley, um, whoever was around me heard me would correct me like, you mean your mom and dad? You gotta understand, I had been in programs for about five years at this point. And I hadn't said those words in a hot minute. So it just felt right. so forced, so unnatural. Holly's also 12 years older than me. So that was really awkward. So at the time I'm 16 and she's like 24, 25, you know? So that was weird Yeah, having someone, but, but she tried, you know, I remember when I was sick, I was sick for a few months when I first got there, I got bronchitis really bad, lost a bunch of weight. She'd make cookies and try to snuggle on the couch and watch movies. And she really did try, but it was also lack of communication, lack of understanding. She had no um, informed trauma care. 
Um, she had no yeah. background history. She just took it as, oh, well, this kid was sent to this program, blah, 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 blah. Um, so we had some disagreements. Mara had had a surgery um, to help her with her seizures. It's called a hemispherectomy, where they take parts of the brains where the seizure activity is, and they remove it to help stop the seizure activity. Um, right. She was about eight years old. Well, me and Holly had uh, argue about something. I don't even remember what the argument was about, but I just remember getting so mad. I wanted to leave just so I can calm down because I didn't want things to escalate. And I'm like, if I walk out the front door, they're going to try to stop me. I know how I am. We're going to get a fist fight. I'm going to beat this bitch's ass. So let me not do that. So I just yeah. opened the window, snuck out the window, started walking down the street, you know, and Holly came in there to check on Mara and seen that the window in its wintertime was left open and she, she could have got sick because, you know, her immune system is low after having the surgery and stuff. And yeah. so I got sent back to the ranch. Um, it, now I'm actually close with Holly. We've talked about it. She knows yeah. about, I, I've, I've opened up over the years about the program and the truth about my adoption. She's like, had I known, I would have never sent you back. I'm so sorry. And I was like, you know, I didn't even realize what I had done wrong. Now, you know, that I work in this field, I'm like, oh, I would have been pissed if, you know, a, a coworker would have did something like that, left a window open for one of my clients, you know, who, right. who is, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, it's I was a child. I just knew I was trying to prevent me escalating and blowing up and having that idea of, yeah, this child is a bad child. I just needed to get out, calm down. And then I could have came back and be like, hey, well, I feel misunderstood, but there was no open communication. Um, so that's one thing I changed with my children. I've actually told my daughter, hey, when I'm being a narcissist and I'm gaslighting you, um, call me out on it. And she does. She's yeah. almost 17 years old. She sure the fuck does. You know, because, yeah, you know, good. no parent, a no parent is perfect. We all fuck up. There's no manual with this shit. You know, not the answer isn't always sending your kid away. I seen kids that got sent there because their parents got divorced and they were have a hard time with the divorce. Then the parents yeah. sent him away. I saw kids who got adopted and the parents regretted adopting him and then wanted to go party and do whatever the fuck they wanted because they got remarried. Um, and, and they Jeez. didn't want the child no more. Yeah. Um, stupid stuff. Uh, one girl got um, sent to the program because she kissed a boy that was not of her race at the YMCA. And her dad, who was a preacher, didn't like it. Yeah. What like stu fuck? Stupid stuff. Yeah. A lot of kids that I know that were in these programs came from either religious families that, you know, the kids started dabbling into this or that or whatever, rebelling, you know, the natural um, yeah. kids who <clears throat> were in the system, foster kids, adopted kids. I've seen sets of siblings come in, Bethel, like crazy. And they would separate them. They wouldn't allow to look at them, talk to them, nothing. I mean, could you? I know what that's like. You know, being in a program, you can't even look and talk and speak to your, your sibling. Like, it was crazy. Yeah. None of these things are going to help, help kids at all. And, you know, these places also do kickbacks. I don't know if you know anything about that. With So what they do is a school counselor at a public school. Say yeah. you, you have a troubled teen. Your kid's right. been skipping school, skipping class. You got a meeting and they're like, hey, yeah, well... Um, your kid's not doing this and this and this. So how about you send them to this behavior modification program? The counselor gives them the information to the program. The parent looks up, looks it up and is like, oh, yeah, well, we'll send them there. OK, well, we'll um, it takes your insurance. So the kid goes to this program. 
Well, then the yeah. person, the guidance counselor who referred that parent to send their kid to that program gets paid from that program for getting in. It's a cycle. Yeah. It, it's a she cycle. There's even parents who receive kickbacks for getting other kids sent there by, you know, kind of like, oh, yeah, this is a, and some of them will even pose themselves as like a preparatory academy for Ivy League. And it's not. Yeah, like and, um, uh, like it's basically like a, like a referral bonus or something like that. They'll yes. get these parents. Yeah. yeah, and then what they'll do is once you're there in the programs, they want to keep you there so they can keep milking that insurance money. Tell your parents, oh, they're not better. They're not better. They're not better. Then tell you, oh, you're getting better. You're getting better. So you see the end of the line. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing and this whole time. You're never going to get out till you're 18. Yeah. Um, I've seen this happen several times where, where girls were told that they were leaders or helpers, but then telling the parents that they're, you know, not doing so good to, they need another, you know, six months, another year. These programs were supposed to be only 18 months. Yeah. I remember but... for, at 14, when I found out that I had no home to go to, I had ran away from Bethel the second time, um, came back because two girls had left me at a laundromat and um, I was scared. I was 13 at the time. I called Bethel. They came pick me back up and Bubba Herman Fountain Jr.'s or Herman Fountain Sr.'s uh, son, the oldest um, Herman Fountain Jr. is his name but we all called him Bubba. Yeah. Was like you know why are you, why'd you run away? And I was like well I'm sick of being here. I'm you know, in this girl's home blah 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 and he was like well you better get used to it. You ain't got no home to go to. After your mom passed away, um, they sold her the house and put your dad in a nursing home, like mental place. You have no home. And at that moment, when I found I had no home, it was like, okay, the gloves are coming off. Like, you know, it, it just was like a fight, a fight for, for everything. Yeah. It was like, why even try? I'm just going to buck the system i'm gonna get kicked out until maybe if thinking that maybe my sister would would come and get me or like cps would step in and find my sister and i can go live with my sister that didn't work <laughs> they yeah. just kept sending me off to program to program to program to program so i was in and out of programs for six years a total of six nine months of those six years i was out of the program so six months with the Conleys and three months at home with my adoptive mother and father yeah but for the rest of the time, you were there in these brutal conditions. Um, yes. Subhuman conditions is what I, I call them. I mean, Jesus, like, I, you know, it, it's it's a wonder. You know, it, it's a, it's it just baffles me how um, how anybody, well, for one, how a human can treat another human like that. But two, I mean, the conditions you put somebody in like that, I mean, it's very similar to prison. Um and the fact that prison is a very violent place, it turns, you know, peaceful men into violent men because of their, it desensitizes, their, their, it desensitizes yeah. you. Yeah. It takes away your humanity and they're doing this all in the name of Jesus and pimping out Jesus for a fat bank account is, uh, is how I look at it. And the fact that, uh, all this is still going on. I mean, even to this day, I think it's still going on. It's There's still programs. going on. Yeah. One of the programs that I was in, which is the Lester Roloff program, the Rebecca Home for Girls, it started in 1968. It was yeah. shut down in 2001 by DCFS in Corpus Christi, Texas. Wiley Cameron pretty much got a hold of Bill McNamara and asked him if he would take over the program. 
Bill McNamara took over the program, rebranded it, renamed it New Beginnings Girls Academy. We yeah. stayed on a trailer in a, on a dorm on a property called Thanks to Calvary Boys Academy in Devil, Devil's Elbow, Missouri for a few months until they were able to find a new location for us. They found a new, new location in Pace, Florida. Um, that program, again, was shut down and then reopened, rebranded by Steve Blankenship, and it was renamed Marvelous Grace Girls Academy. Marvelous Grace Girls Academy rebranded again, kept the same name, same owner, just moved to a different state. It's now located in Duck Hill, Mississippi. And we're trying to get some more exposure on, on, on that to get him, yeah. you know, held accountable. I mean, to get so that place shut down for once and for good. So Mississippi ain't too far from where I'm at. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm right here in Louisiana, but where is Dove Hill, Mississippi at geographically? Is it how or how far away is it from, let's say, Jackson? Um, let me actually Google that because I'm not quite sure. Hang on a yeah. second. Uh, forgot, and, and I forgot about that tidbit as well. So, I mean, you know, um, it, you got I know you got Mobile, you got Brookhaven, you got Jackson and you got, I think, Tuscaloosa, maybe or is that Alabama? No, no, uh, what is it? Tuscaloosa, Mississippi, or Tulsa? No. So, Duck Hill, Mississippi is an hour and 32 minutes away from Jackson, Mississippi. Okay. Is it on the east side or, 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 the, or the west side of the state? I'm not really sure, to be honest uh, it, with it, you. It, or, okay, is it closer to Louisiana or closer to Alabama? Um, Jackson, let's see, Duck Hill. I'm looking through. I just Google mapped it, so I really can't yeah, yeah, see yeah. that. That's fine. Um, That's fine. It's just a truck driver, me asking that. That's all. Yeah. I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> you're talking truck driver lingo. Let me go grab my husband. For me, yeah. I spread it out, and it is closer to, so Duck Hill, Mississippi is closer to Tennessee, the Tennessee okay. border. Oh, so it's on the north, yeah, it's on the north yeah, side. Yeah. Okay. So um, Jackson, Mississippi is closer to the Louisiana um, border. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Oh wow, uh, man! I um, it, I, I know. I remember talking to Barb. There was a program that she talked about that happened in Louisiana over in over in Bossier Parish. Um, do y'all have Do y'all have any any programs in Louisiana that's on your sites? That have um, anything? I ha- I haven't heard anything lately on that. Um, Barb okay. would probably be a good one to reach out to. Yeah, which I, which I'm, hopefully she'll be on the podcast soon. I haven't gotten in touch with her yet to get on get her on the podcast. I know she's busy with them grandbabies and uh, fucking crushing it on TikTok as as a yeah, warrior for, uh, for all this. I mean, good. I mean, I see her putting out content left and right, and I mean, she is fighting, she is screaming, she's banging that war drum just like you are. And I, I'm glad you did. I'm glad that you put yourself out there on that, and that you know I was able to come across you. Um, it just it's so it's so weird how social media put, brings people together and the fact that I found you randomly uh, in my algorithm just flipping through TikTok because another TikToker, you know, I, and I, I mentioned it too in the intro to this episode, it was, uh, you know, John with uh, Slay the TTI happened to just like one of my videos. And yeah, uh, I love that we all now. are like coming together, you know, in the spot, yeah. like, like they're from a whole completely, they're from like a behavior modification school, Elon, which is another yeah. cult. Um, there's so many different levels when you start getting into this, like it, it yeah. really needs its own documentary documentary on yeah. this because it is so vast and so large uh, uh, I mean, to, to it, break it, it down. I sometimes it, feel like a conspiracy theorist talking about it. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, because, you know, I, I mean, hell, I grew up 35 years of my life never knowing about this. And so, you know, just randomly finding on TikTok, I'm like, how, how the fuck did we miss this? And it's the fact that they're so subvert and, they, and, they, and they're so secretive and they use a lot of manipulation and grooming and trafficking tactics to be able to hide in plain sight uh, so well. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, it, 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 it astounds me that this hasn't gained bigger coverage. But, of course, that does come into play with a lot of the politicians yeah. that are we, involved. In we've all also, and then everything that's going on. So we started, I started coming out um, a longer, long, or so all this kind of came about in 2020. But I started coming out with, like, my adoption abuse first. Um, yeah. Back in the early 2000s after I got out the program, so, like, 2010. Um, 2009 and then yeah. in 2017 I started speaking up about my time in the troubled teen industry and this is after I found my biological family decided I was going to write a book and I was like you know what I'm just going to be in the book I might as well just talk about it um, all, yeah. and all these people are like oh my god I never knew like just talking to you we would never known that you had gone through all this um, yeah. you know and so I kind of feel like people are kind of sick of me talking about it but I'm not going to stop talking about what's going on because it's still going on. I don't think I'm loud enough for y'all. You know what I mean? Right. So meeting you and you're like, yeah, let's get loud. I'm like, all right, brother. Like, you know, yeah. you, you know, you don't even know me from Joe Schmo off the street and, and you have more empathy for what's going on than people I know in real life. I mean, it's, it's, it's fucking evil. It's wrong. It and I mean, without any kind of Christian slant or any kind of, you know, religious slant to this at all, it's still morally yeah. fucking wrong. It's morally wrong. And, and this is, you know, and I mean, ultimately, this is still about protecting children and giving y'all justice. And yeah. it, it needs to be stopped. I mean, there and, and luckily, though, there are reporters out there who are who are who are trying to break through this and trying to break through that. I guess, break through that ice or that wall that, you know, is, is stopping them from doing it down here. I mean held over the summer we had story after story whether it was uh you know a child being you know being killed or beaten to death or or, or dcf or dcfs um you know have gone to a house three times knowing that or or, or or get or going to check on a child three times knowing that this child overdosed and it died from a fentanyl overdose um and how they fucked that up with their fail safes that's what they like to call it i mean there's a judge out here that his it, the, the story of this judge and what happened uh reached international news uh, out of the area i grew up in uh or, or in the parish i grew up in out of tangibo parish around hammond and ponchatoula uh which was and you probably heard of it already too you might you might have briefly heard about it over, over the summer or around may it was about uh, John Barnes and Christina uh, or Krista Abelseth. And basically the story was titled uh, rape victim had to pay her rapist child support. Oh my gosh. That, that came out, that came out of the, out of the area I grew up in. And then, then on top of it, the same judge, Jeffrey cash, he also ordered another child to go into a home uh, with a parent that had, uh, that had uh, convicted sex offenders or convicted child molesters. I think in fact, in that living in that home and this, the, and from the same area, from the, the same judge, the same area that I, I grew up out in. I mean, it, it, and it's obvious that there is, there's either two things that, that come to my mind with this. It's either going to be that there is corruption or it's incompetence and either fucking way judge needs to go. These people need to go. If, if they're going to be that incompetent or that corrupt yeah. flat out and there's a lot of people here that are tired of seeing these pedophiles getting these light sentences, these sweetheart deals, 
um, getting, you know, good time and reentry programs and everything like that to come back out into the scene and then learn how to be sneakier and more subvert and hurt and hurt more kids because that's what they do. And I, the fact that there's so little care for, for what, what I call ourselves the poors because we're not people that grew up with these, in, with these elected officials. We're not people that have the money to donate, you know, big, big chunks of money to their, their campaign funds. We're not the people that have any kind of influence or affluence in our cities or parishes, like no power uh, in, in, a, in a sense. They don't give a shit. There's very few times and very few cases that I've seen where they actually gave a shit. And it's because guess what? Media and social media highlighted on there. Uh, there's so many horror stories of like yours and like uh, of uh, and, and others of different types of traumas where they don't get any real justice. And I'm fucking sick of it. And a lot of other good men and good women are fucking sick of it. And they just like myself, I didn't know how to how to fight I, 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 or, or how to how to really go about in this fight. Right. Um, a lot of people feel like you have to be a, a survivor in order to speak out against it because yeah. they don't want to they don't want to take your voice away. I mean, it, it's good intentions, too. It's not like it's just because they want to be selfish. Some people are just selfish and just want to push it aside and ignore it and ignore the abuse. Kind of like how I sent you that video that time where, you know, I, I you know, about, about that situation. And, and, you know, you told me something that really was profound on me was that, you know, if we continue to not if, if we don't if we don't talk about the abuses that are going on they're going to continue on yeah so we have so By good silencing people the, the, yeah. the person who's been through the abuse it's pretty much saying it's okay or get over it right. and, and the abuse continues it creates a cycle and 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 that and and not 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 only even that just uh people getting uncomfortable about the stories that i talk about oh you're not supposed to talk about that yeah. polite society well you know go suck a fat one because yeah my because my opinion about it is is that look you know this is going on we're not talking about it enough. It's nothing's being done. Um, no, fuck this. This is wrong. This is evil. And we're going to stop it. And we're going to stop it on, on all fronts. I mean, I've we heard, got to. You know, people tell me before how uncomfortable my story makes them and they don't want to hear it, you know. And then I do stop. Like, okay, that's fine. But think about how uncomfortable I was when I was going through it. Yeah. But you're uncomfortable hearing about it. I live this. I know you're yeah. looking at me today like, oh, my God, how did this really happen? Yeah, all this shit fucking happened. It's true. Um, and even though I survived it, there's people who are not. We've lost survivors of the troubled teen industry to suicide from depression. Yeah. Not having the means to um, access therapy or the, having the resources to get therapy. Getting back on drugs. Having yeah. nowhere to go. I was homeless. Homeless. You know, when I left this program, $40 in my pocket. Sometimes kids don't even get that. You get a trash bag with your stuff and a boot out the door. Um, yeah. I was lucky enough to get a plane ticket to go back to Jacksonville. You know, I, I, I was dependent on uh, others because I didn't know how to depend on myself. I was never taught how to budget bills, budget a checking account, how to obtain a driver's license, how to fill out a job resume, how to apply for a job. Um, how to get my social security card, how to do anything. I didn't know how to do nothing other than cook clean and listen to what other people told me to do. There's no critical thinking skills. So how is that preparing me for life in the real world? And they all well, try to gr groom you as staff to keep the abuse going. And I'll tell you this too, um, uh, public education. Uh, and I, I know that's not anything I cover on this subject, but uh, as far as my personal experience, public education didn't teach me jack shit about life either. And that's stuff I had to learn on my own. But I did have a support system. I had people I could go talk to about it and figure out where to, where to go because we kind of grew up in that, in that age where the internet became a really big thing uh, as we were getting older. Right. And, mm -hmm. and then social media became a really big thing as we became adults. 
because uh, you're you're 35, right? Or yes. close to 35? Yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm 35. 35. Yeah, I'm 35 as well. So, I mean, you know, 2010, 2011 is kind of when I started being on, on social media as far as Me on too. Facebook. And I was on MySpace before that. But, I mean, hell, you know, I didn't have a smartphone until around uh, 2011, you know. Like, I, you know, that, that was rich people shit for me, right? Yeah. And I was given one. So, I mean... <laughs> You know, I I didn't know I anything had an about old it. Boost Nextel walkie talkie phone. <laughs> <laughs> Where you at? Where you at? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. That's that. That's that. That's that. Uh, Blue Store Hood special right there is what yeah, they call it. That, that's yeah. what I had. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Where <laughs> you at? Yeah. I, I, I didn't. Ha- I know. I, I didn't have that. I actually had the um the Nextels uh, little flip phones. Um, and then of course I ended up. I thought I was a big shot with a razor and everything with the flip razors. I yeah, used to I had miss the razor. Those. I had the rumor. Yeah. And I finally got me a Samsung three, and I thought it was the shit, even though it was through like the Kroger, like the Kroger yeah. phones. And I yeah. finally didn't get a actual phone plan until probably 2013. Yeah, That's 2013. Right. I think 20, 2012 or 2011. No, 2011 is when I actually got. Well, I, I had a phone plan before that, but I mean, it was the you know the the dumb phones, the old phones, and everything. And then I got on one with with a, with an iPhone and. Um, it was a, you know, it was a used one and everything. It was my, I think my mom's phone. Yeah. She gave it to me when I got on truck, when I got into truck driving, because, Hey, you, you're, you're going to need this out there. I'm yep, like, all right, that's cool. when we started to get a phone plan is when my husband became a truck driver too. Well, yeah. like, we need to communicate and they're going to, yeah. dispatch is going to need to get a hold of you and blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's very, you know, very similar as far as social culturally in, in that aspect with technology. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, but the a lot fact of, of the I, matter is, is like, like you said, I had a support system. You know, I had parents yeah. to teach me these. I didn't have that. So this place right. is supposed to teach me those things. And it didn't, you know, no, they didn't give a shit about y'all. They gave a shit about lying in their pockets. And, yeah. and I mean, I, I, I guarantee you, Lester Roloff didn't miss any fucking showers or, or miss a good meal oh, I know. or, 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 or McAmara or, or, or all the other ones that you mentioned. I'm sorry. I'm drawing blanks on their fucking names, but I guarantee you they, they had nice. They're, not, that, they're yeah. not important enough to really. I mean, I want people to know their name to be on the wear and look out for them. But as yeah. far as like respect to, to fuck their fuck their name up, <laughs> yeah. like we have a we have an inside joke in our little group chat between Barb, Susie, yeah. uh, Tammy, and Lacey, and we call Lester roll off Lester the molester. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know it's not to laugh at people's trauma, but you know at the no. same time, um, I find trying to make crack jokey jokes because so much people can only take so much darkness and and, and, right. and the shit that i went through and talk about is is pretty dark so i try to throw a joke in there to lighten the mood like you know what i mean not that it's funny um but yeah. he he opened the doors for this for these girls to be abused by other staff that's there i feel like he's highly responsible um yeah. Uh, when, when there's children, there's predators lurking around. And, and that's the thing. So you need to be on high alert. Whenever there is children, know that there are predators lurking yeah. around. There are red flags to look out for when it comes to looking into the troubled teen industry. And what I feel sad for the most is parents. I came across a TikTok video of this mom who didn't even send her kid away. The kid was a truant and was sent there by the courts. And when he right. came home, he had bruises and the arm shoulder dislocated. And now she's trying to sue the judge and that facility for abusing her child. Um, what are the, and how's your kid supposed to communicate? You don't know your kids in these places and you don't know that they're being abused. Um, there's yeah. a, 
coincidence with um, Steve Blankenship where parents sign custody over and they want to come get their kid and he won't give the kid back. That is trafficking. Yeah. And kidnapping. Kidnapping. Unfortunately, it's legal kidnapping because they mm-hmm. signed they signed documented paperwork and everything yeah. like that. Yeah. So um, there needs to be some sort of change to prevent this. Like, yeah, I should, yeah. you know, just at any time, like if I wanted to go get my kid from school and, the, and, the, and they're like, oh, no, your kid, you know, has missed too many schools. They can't. Uh, oh, no. You have that right. These parents don't even have that right. Yeah. And uh, I, I just. I, Re- reading the fine clause and the paperwork, you know, if it doesn't have a thing in there, it says at any time you can remove your child for whatever reason. You know, there, there's not that. There's times where parents have called to check up on their kid. And, like, because there was a girl who tried to tell her parents about the abuse. They hung up. And she called back was like, no, let me talk to my daughter. And they were like, no, she's on punishment. She's not all talk on the phone. The mother wound up getting in the vehicle, coming to get her little girl. And she had been starved. And this was at the Rebecca home when it was New Beginnings Girls Academy. And, yeah. you know, there was times where we, parents have even called, um, you know, Children's Services, the police department in these towns, and they go along to an investigation. They either hide the girls or hide some of the girls that they think would tell and only let them speak to the girls that were groomed and wouldn't say anything. I mean, there needs to be a better way of us going in there. Like, I, if my voice and my name and my face wasn't so far out there, I'm half tempted to sign up myself as, you know, a troubled teen or a, a worker and expose these places. Like it, yeah. it's crazy. <clears throat> like, needs how, to be- how do we get more exposure? Like I know that I talk about this all the time, but I, I'm at the point where I've been talking about it for two years. I want to see action. Yeah. And I mean, people are going to join the cause, you know, people are going to fight for you. I'm going to fight for you. Shit. I'm going to bang my war drum. I was telling uh, a lady on a previous episode, uh, about the uh, Northside uh, uh, Bone and uh, or Skull and Bone Gang, right? And what they were—it's a new—it's a New Orleans uh, Mardi Gras tradition uh, that dates back 200 years ago. So, what the Bone and, and and I'm not saying I'm in that I'm I'm in that I'm in that group of people or anything like that. I'm not representing them or anything. I I, I love the symbology, and this is how I feel about you know that I, I feel like related to like it's something relatable to me. Um, that what the Bonemen did was they would go through the streets of new orleans uh at the beginning of mardi gras early in the morning right so mardi gras falls on a monday and a tuesday in new orleans and they would uh go chant down the streets you know you better be living right or the bone man will get you and i feel in that sense in that spirit i feel like a bone man as far as i'm here shouting and, and screaming you know you better you know don't hurt the little ones or the bone man will get you because the bone men were also warriors they were also fighters and they they took care of their neighborhoods and everything like that. They were they were the protectors in their neighborhoods as well. And, and it's and now it's just more or less a, a tradition than anything else. But it was it was to to let people know, hey, you don't be don't be uh don't be an asshole in your neighborhood. Don't be hurting people. Uh, be, live right, you know, and and treat others with the respect and dignity they deserve, or we're gonna get you. And so I, in that spirit, I feel like I'm a bone man. I'm somebody that's speaking right now, but I'm capable of that violence. I'm capable of that war. And there's also other peoples in our fight as well. You know, there's bowmen, there's healers, there's wolves. And what makes it so hard in this case, it's not even just the troubled teen industry as a whole. It's the faith-based side of the troubled teen industry that people don't want to go after. I'm not out here, and I want the listeners to know this, I'm not after 
Christianity. I I mean, I have my yeah. own issues with it because I was indoctrinated and I am deconstructing and unlearning all the bad things I learned about religion that are not true. But yeah. when you're a person who identifies as a person of faith and in the community, we view as someone we should trust. You know, you have these churches that do food pantries for the people who are homeless and need food. They do dinners for the community. They do things for the community, right? And you're supposed to be helping people. But when you're a person of faith, of religion, and you're using that religion to hide behind the abuse and you're inflicting hurt and pain and suffering on others, I'm going to call you out on it. I'm not after Christianity. Christianity is not under attack. But the people right. hiding behind it and using it are. It's just being called out. We're just calling yeah. out the false prophets. Um, and you should be too. If you're supporting yeah. these places, you should be ashamed of yourself. If you see yeah. these places come to your church, uh, you could probably go Google. Google while you're sitting there as they're singing and stuff. Get, type on your phone because I know y'all do it. Y'all get on your phone in church. I've done it. You know, yeah. get on your phone, Google, you know, you see Sleeve Blankenship pop up at your church, Marvelous Grace Girls coming, Google his name. Yeah. On silence, breaking code silence, we've been out here talking about this. You're going to find stuff. Heal.org is another organization. You can pop in the name of the director, the program. You can find out all the history of how many times it's rebranded, reopened, any police reports, any reports of abuse, allegations, neglect, mistreatment, et cetera. The staff, everything is going to pop up. Um, There's resources out there. Start questioning. That's one of the things that we weren't allowed to do in the program was question. And one of the things that I do now that I'm out of the program is I question everything. I'm not just going to take your word for it just because you say so. I got to respect you first. You got to earn that respect. I'm not just going to give it to you. Because now my brain thought thought process has changed because of the trauma. And I view everything as, you know, either a threat or someone's trying to hurt me, um, the mistrust there, not knowing who to trust. So it's good when you find someone and you find people who are like-minded and not even just like-minded who are like, yeah, you know what, what you went through is fucked up. That shouldn't have fucking happened. Oh shit. That's still going on. How, how can we stop this? Not right. invalidate and be like, oh, well, get over it. Or that was such a long time ago. In my brain, or, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago because it wasn't. Or or, or the answer I, I, that I see a lot of Christians will say, well, God's only going to give you what you can handle. Right. Yeah. Or okay. It um, made you, my favorite is, <clears throat> it made you stronger. No, my trauma did not make me stronger. It made me feel weak. It broke me. It took my entire childhood for me. And while everyone else is be able to process and move on and, and grow, I'm stuck behind everyone because I didn't get that opportunity. Now that I'm doing that as for myself, I'm healing loudly. You know, I am doing these things to help make me not this way. I'm, I'm understanding and processing like, and not using it as an excuse because hurt people hurt people. Right. I want to use my pain with a purpose I want to make my bitter help me be better, you know, and, and sometimes, and I'm still angry. You could still be angry about it. I think people misconstrue me as just an angry black woman and I'm not, you can still be angry about these things, but still be passionate for change as well. I'm angry right. and upset. You should be angry and upset. Even if it's not your kids being abused, it's someone else's babies out there being abused and hurt and mistreated. What if that was your child? You know, and if yeah. you send your kid to these places, it could be your child. And that's what I'm trying to convey. This isn't about revenge. 
If it was about revenge, I would have turned their asses in 18 years ago. But I didn't. I was still brainwashed and conditioned to believe that that shit was normal. And I didn't know that other people, other than the people I went to, have been through this. There's thousands and thousands of survivors. It's huge. This industry is huge. And we're all coming together because we're sick and tired of this shit. Exactly. I mean, th- th- this th- you're not just some one-off person that's like you know, that that they can just easily explain away and say, "Oh, this is just uh, somebody that's bitter or crazy right. or something like that." Even no. if I'm the only person that you've known that's gone through this, I know thousands. I can connect you with thousands. You know, you don't yeah. take my word for it. Go look it up. There's other stories. It's been on the news. NBC has covered it. Circle of Hope Ranch in uh, Missouri. Um, they're under fire right now. Agape boarding school. They're under fire right now. Provo Canyon school, Lakeland girls Academy. It's all over. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, some of the things to look out for in the troubled teen industry so that parents or families or anyone looking to being recommended to send their child to a behavior modification, what to look out for when you're looking at the rules and stuff. Cause sometimes they use really high pressured sales tactics to right. get you to act now. So for instance, Agape is in Stockton, Missouri, but you could go pop in Agape boarding school and your Google search bar. And then you just say boys homes in Mississippi. Agape is going to pop up and say that it's in Mississippi. But then when you click on the link, it's going to say, oh, well, it's not in Mississippi. It's in Stockton, Missouri. And it's a highly elite blah, 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 blah. They use those kind of like phishing on the internet to get you to get your kids sent away. Even though we don't have a program in your city and town and it's further away across, you know, the country, you can still send your kid here and we'll help you. So the programs use high pressured sales tactics, urging parents to act now or else their child will be harmed. If a program restricts family communication or parental rights, that's a red flag. A program allows only monitored or limited telephone communication with parents, red flag. If the program allows only monitored, limited, or censored written communication with parents, the program denies the child the ability to contact law enforcement or advocates upon request or to report abuse. Certain staff at the program receive bonuses or commissions for having a high headcount of children enrolled. The program unethically uses restraints to punish a child, use without attempting de-escalation or restraining them when they are not an, at an intimate risk of harm to themselves or others. Yeah. The program uses restraints in a manner to hurt the child in hopes that they will comply. Pressure points. If the program uses dangerous, unethical, physical, chemical, mechanical restraints, methods prone at or such as prone as restraints or pepper spray if the program allows regular staff to have um, discretion to use chemical restraints that are rubber stamped by a doctor or nurse at a later point in time um, that means that they don't have to have um, permission so like in the DODD field we are not allowed to restrain any of our individuals and i have some who are behavioral that'll beat you and hit you kick you cuss at you and you're not allowed to put your hands on them at all right um now if they're a risk or hurt for themselves what you would have to do is if you had to restrain them you have to fill out what's called a major investigative uh report mui um 
And then you send that to your county board. And then the county board sends it and there's an investigator who looks up why does this person have a history of violence? Why why do they have to restrain them? Then they have to go to HRC, which is a human resource um, advocacy group. And it's kind of like a board of directors for human resource um, advocacy group that will advocate and be like, okay, well, if this person keeps having behaviors and hits people, we need to make a plan as to what restraints are okay that's not going to cause them any kind of harm or trauma. And it all kind of goes through a process. You don't have anything like that in the troubled teen industry. They just will restrain you and then later on a doctor or something. If you if the program, which is typical in the behavior modification programs, um, then yes. they'll stamp it, you know, later on. So it's, it's a, you know, illegal documentation, a falsifying documentation. Um, the duration of the interment at the program is ambiguous, creating a indefinite detainment. If the program punishes a child by restricting social interaction, socially obstructing them, or forcing silence. If programs require the children initially to earn the right to have a normal social interaction, needing to be at a certain level of a program in order to have basic conversations with their peers. Programs require prolonged isolation for, from society. If the program punishes the child with forced labor, um, if the program uses shame, fear, humiliation, intimidation as a part of behavior modification practices, um, programs punishing the children by forcing them to sit or lay in stress positions, if the program deprives the child of basic necessities such as food, water, sleep, or access to the bathroom, program denies medical care, refusal to allow children to see the doctor, accusing them of attention-seeking. Yeah. Um, Will, will they have all? Will they have all this written down in in, in their contracts and everything? Um. Or so or because I mean, obviously, this is this is some horrible shit. And if 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 you if you were seeing this on a website or on a contract, obviously, you know, you if if you read the contract. But I'm pretty sure that as far as a sales tactic go, they're not going to be talking about yeah, we restrain your kids and leave them, leave them restrained at an un, un, undisclosed amount of time. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're more subvert in their speech and right, how they exactly. How they, but what you can do is you can cross-reference. So you can be like, okay, well, I'm looking into Lakeland Girls Academy. Google search bar, look in, um, you know, reviews for this place. And then if you see in right. the comments for these reviews or on Reddit, Yahoo, wherever, um, you'll see where other survivors or people or parents who have sent their kids to these programs will put in and they'll tell you whether they yeah. are doing these things or not. You can look it up. Um, some of the behavior modification programs they do, and they will say that they use, you know, chemical modified, you know, chemical restraints. Um, um, I actually have a handbook from Bethel Girls Academy, and it tells you, actually, I'm going to see if I can access that for you, and I'll read some of it to you. And, and it gives you hints, there's codes um, that you can pick up on these things where you're like, oh, well, that doesn't sound normal that's a little messed up so let me go back in and see if i can look at my phone for this handbook real fast for you yeah give me two seconds okay that's fine scar <clears throat> so oh Okay, uh, let's see. So at Bethel, we had um, a handbook, and it was called the Bethel Baptist Church 
Young Ladies Handbook of Bethel Baptist Girls Academy, a guide of norms, expectations, privileges of Bethel Academy. Um, so let's see where it is. Punishments. Okay, discipline techniques and sanctions. Okay, so it says disciplinary board. When a young lady commits a serious norm violation or prolonged history of a norm violation occurrence, a young lady is determined to lack sufficient self-discipline to meet requirements of the academy. She is then referred to the disciplinary board for a treatment decision. Now, that's just fancy lingo as... um, the the helpers or the leaders are going to yeah. tell on you and then the, you know the director is going to say well you have x amount of whatever and then they carry it out there's no disciplinary freaking board it just yeah. sounds good on paper if the right. young lady is found guilty the disciplinary board may choose from to select from the following stat uh changes loss of privileges isolation a setback in the program or corporal punishment within guidelines and policies of the academy. Discipline techniques and sanctions. Methods used to install discipline will be impressed upon every young lady that we are embracing on a new way of life in different environment. Generate the desire within the young lady to learn and accomplish all the skill all skills and academic subjects while you're at the academy. Emphasize on self-discipline is the foundation for success and attainment of high standards is a reflection of both. Emphasize that the individual desires and actions are subordinate to the team effort. And then it says affirm guidance and direct counseling executed in fair, dignified manner, which is not true at all. So like if you go back where it says loss of privileges, isolation, a setback in the program where you have to start all the way from the bottom and work your way up corporal punishment there's hints there um for those things yeah so it, it'll tell you um it, it you just have to yeah you actually have to do your research and you have to do your research you... and, and dig there's certain lingos and, and things that they're going to say in here but they word it in a way that if you're not good on play on words, you're not going to understand. So minor okay. violations. So like in, in the book, what tells you what minor violations for that? These are the things I'm telling you, Hey, watch out for. If they have this lingo, it's a red flag. So unauthorized yeah. talking, minor horseplay, lack of motivation, con- conduct unbecoming of a young lady, lack of preparation, neglect and completing tasks. And then it'll tell you the punishments. It'll say loss of privileges, free of the day for free time of the day, um, written counseling, which is not written counseling, you're writing sentences or whatever. Incentive uh, physical training. Incentive. You notice how they put that word incentive physical training to make it sound fancy. No, we're gonna wear yeah. you out for four hours till you pass out from exhaustion. Um, time out in the corner. Really? You're sending 16 and 17 year old girls for a timeout. Now, if timeout was, you know, what's working, I don't think they would be getting sent to the programs. These kids would be like awesome kids by age three, right? Because, you know, every yeah. kid gets put in the corner. Like, come on. That's code for you're going to stand on the wall or stand in the corner for days, weeks at a time, not timeout. They they word these things to where you, you don't catch it unless you know what you're looking for. And that's one of the things and why I'm telling these people, like these are the red flags to look out for. And this is what they're going to sell you and sell you. And you have to be smart enough to catch them. Like, no, I remember Sabrina said, you know, 
if the program uses overstructure routine for children that allows little to no free time, that's a red flag. If they use attack therapy or group therapy on children, that's a red flag. You know, uh, yeah. these conversion therapy places, they will try to take a kid that's gay and turn him into straight. And they pretty much beat the straightness into him and have attack therapy where kids will circle around this kid. And they'll tell them like, oh, well, you got raped because your shirt was too low and your skirt was too short. Maybe if you wasn't such a whore, you wouldn't have got raped. That's their attack yeah. therapy. That's attack therapy. Making someone be invalidated for what they went through. Well, you deserved what you went through because, you know, you deserve for getting raped because you got drunk at that party. Maybe if you didn't go to that party and get drunk. Like, no, it's 2022. We're not doing that shit no more. Yeah. And that shit doesn't work. It doesn't work. We're, we're telling you, you know, how could we all be liars? There's, I've met women and men from these programs that I didn't even attend the program with from maybe a different program or a same program, but at a different time. And we all have similar stories, similar phrases. If you hear me say hamburger butt, that's to where the point they would spank you and give you so many licks that your butt would look like hamburger meat by the time it was done. Yeah. Um, and that was a popular thing that they would do to us. They would beat you till you had hamburger butt, your legs, your, your, your bottom. And, you know, 17, I mean, in the program at Rebecca, they would spank you till you were 20, 20 years old. And I remember getting spanked at 17, like really I'm almost 18 years old and you're spanking me. So what happened to the kids that were would fight back from the physical uh, spankings from the physical abuse? Like we, we I'm, get, I'm sure I'm pre- we, we would get held down. I was one of those kids. They would hold you down. They would have other girls or boys. If you were a boy, they would force those kids to hold you down so that you could they could spank you. Yeah, they would restrain you. So when another program uses other kids' muscle force, I mean, they had a great, they had the right formula to pin us against each other and instill that fear and get us to where we're not going to talk and open up after we leave these programs. You know, I think a lot of us now that, you know, mental health um, and everything that's going on and we're more open and talking about mental health. Cause I mean, when you're sick, you go to the doctor, you know, and you, and you get medicine when you're sick, when your body is feeling ill, it's no different from the mind and the brain when your mind and you're having these bad thoughts or traumatic memories or these things that's going on, you're going to go to a doctor to get that fixed, right? So you can process, understand why that's going on and how to overcome and, and work through that and triumph over that trauma. Right. So these programs, they don't use real therapeutic doctors. Um, a lot of these doctors are doctors that either got their license or medical license revoked or people who got certified online, but they don't really qualify. You know, maybe they had hopes yeah. to go be a doctor, but they didn't quite work out. So they got some kind of like certification online and now they're like a certified counselor, but their methodologies are fucked up. And they don't help and they inflict more pain and trauma. And you're not reaching these kids in the way that you say that you're reaching these kids. You're affecting their lives and fucking them up for life. And now we're trying to unfuck up the mess that they made. Um, And it just needs to be one, you know, right now we're trying to like get people to know about it. A lot of places people don't know about these places that they even exist, but we're also trying to identify, well, this is where you mess up what's going wrong. It's not working. Stop doing that. Start doing these things. Right. Sorry about that. I'm trying to, uh, I'm, uh, unfortunately, uh, I know up there it's probably snowing and cold and everything like that over it's here. It's not I'm snowing kinda... yet. It's actually 75 today. 
Girl, ain't you lucky? Yeah, Ohio Dude. is. Um, I haven't left the house yet. Um, but yeah. um, the Ohio's got really messed up bipolar weather. Like we'll have like our fake fall, and then our fake winter, and then our summer again, and then our real fall, and then winter, and then winter again, and then fake spring, and then summer. Well, <laughs> it's it's, just, it's just, it, it's horrible. Just Uno reverse all, yeah. Just, just vice versa all that, and replace winter with uh with uh summer. That's what we got over here in Louisiana. We got ten months of, of brutal uh Satan butthole uh summer, and then we got maybe a month, two months if we're lucky of of of, of like damp, wet, brutal cold, freezing wind winter, and uh, that's it. You know, it's, it's it's pretty much you might have some good days in between, uh, some good spring like type days, but. Most of the time, it's too damn hot to do any damn thing. Uh, uh, so if you hear, so if you've been hearing all this noise and everything like that, door shut and everything, kind of try to open the door, let that wind come in and uh, and everything like that. So I'm trying not to uh, get too drenched in sweat, but I, sorry, no, it's word right. diarrhea, word, ver, <laughs> verbal diarrhea. Sorry. Um. Yeah, I mean, what I was gonna go with this. Um, <laughs> So we're going about the rules. We're talking about the guidelines and what to look out for and everything like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, is there any programs that actually do work, though? I have not found any, but I do have some alternative resources. Um, so yeah. there's a online um, place called BetterHelp that kind of helps with mental health and where mental health and where to go. And I just want listeners to be aware and know that better help um, does recommend you to send your children to behavior team modification, therapeutic wilderness programs. And that is something that we highly recommend against sending your children to. So you also have to be careful of those places too online yeah. that there's recommendations all over. Um, I have not found any program that is successful in the trouble teen industry as of yet. Um, I'm hoping some pop up. Um, I'm, I'm st- we're still researching it because um, I guess most of the work we're trying to do right now is getting the ones that are not doing good shut down yeah. that we know of and then working on the ones that we, you know, that are still out there that we've never don't have any kind of affiliation with. Um, right. But I'm trying to scroll down to my list of other resources. And you can find these. I got these off of the unsilence.org um, website. So yeah. um, there's some different alternative resources um, here that you can um, try first. Um, so the first one is community-based options. So um, going into your community, families need evidence-based community-safe treatment options um, to help adolescent behavior, trauma, mental health issues um, with youth. So looking for your evidence-based help that's in your community. And what evidence-based means that researchers have actually conducted studies to determine whether the treatment has been effective or not. So researching, doing the research for yourself on the program before you actually commit and select and send your child to that program. we're working on trying to come up with a list of um, evidence-based programs. Um, you'll be able to find some of these programs on the um, websites uh, like unsilence.org, um, Breaking Code Silence. Um, there's a thing called, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it, but it's called the Absadian Project. 
A B E C E D A R I A N. I should probably learn how to spell or pronounce these things. Um, yeah, I can't even try to pronounce it. it. Yeah. It's an early education intervention that's designed to improve cognitive and um, educational development among low-income children. And the okay. program is rated promising. It's a treatment group showed to statistically significant greater likelihood of being enrolled in college and also having skilled employment, um, a lower likelihood of teen becoming a teen parent and fewer depressive um, symptoms compared with controlled group. Um, there is another program called AMPED, and it stands for Academic Mentoring Program for Educational Development. It's a school-based mentoring program designed to improve academic performance, life satisfaction, and reduce absences and behavioral infractions. Um, right. So pretty much a lot of these kids, let's just get down to the nitty gritty. Uh, a lot of these kids are sent away to these programs and I'm just going to say it. I don't care if it offends people from shitty parents and shitty parenting and parents that are uh, emotionally um, underdeveloped that, you know, they had a shitty parent who had a shitty parent and it just kind of trickled down the system and you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Um, like I said in the beginning, there's not a handbook that comes with parenting. You know, we're all kind of like just winging it here. And it's okay to not be okay and that you need help. Um, but sending them away to a boarding school or a military school is not always the right thing to do. So kind of, you know, looking at, you know, an after school based mentoring program for your child. Um, yeah getting them involved in, in something that they like to do. Um, one thing for, about me and that I'm big on with my children is um, I give my children the freedom to express themselves um, mm -hmm. through dress, their music, as long as there's, it, it abides by my, you know, house rules. One, I don't want to see genitalia. I don't want to see your boobs, your butt, any genitalia. Keep it covered. I don't need to see that, you know. But yeah. other than that, I let my kids wear what they want. Don't wear something about something that you don't do. So if you're not drinking and smoking and doing all this stuff, then don't be wearing T-shirts glorifying, magnifying it, because that's not the life that right. you live. Um, nothing that is obscene. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to let my kid, you know, wear a T-shirt and he's 10 years old and it's got boobs in the front of it like you're 10. You ain't got no business wearing right. that. Um, I don't let my kids, you know, have... Um, uh, shirts that, you know, make fun of other people, um, you know, stuff like that. But other than that, you know, my daughter has been through a prep stage, a goth stage, her Nirvana yeah. emo slacker grunge stage. Like she, you know, keeps wow. changing her aesthetic and she's yeah. finding out who she is. Same right. thing with my son. And I've never felt her like told him like, you know, there's music my kids listen to. I'm like, oh, what is that? That is complete fucking trash. But I remember I was listening to much worse. You know what I mean? So I'm yeah. just like, okay, whatever. That's what they like. And kids grow out of those stages. Like I remember my daughter one time started getting into Bad Bunny or not Bad Bunny. Sorry. Bad, bad, bad Baby. Barbie. Bad, bad baby, baby yeah. yeah, bad baby, Danielle Bergoli. And you know, we all yeah. heard, you know, the doctor fell thing and how she was. And I'm like, ooh, I don't want my daughter acting like that. But at the same time, like now she's 16, she's like, yeah, mom, I don't listen to her music no more. I don't know if what? you guys know about bad baby, but Danielle Bergoli was on the Dr. Phil show. And Dr. Phil yeah. has a history of sending teens to these behavior modification programs, such as, yeah. as the ranch, and then not taking accountability. For sending these children to these places and not doing checkups or doing the research before sending these places to see if they have any history of neglect and abuse. And then when it comes about that the child has, you know, suffered from 
mental, physical, emotional abuse in these places. He's like, eh, it's not my problem anymore. Um, and he's still on the air. Yeah. You know, still doing this stuff. Uh, yeah, because I, I remember that special. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously she became famous. She became a meme for, you know, the, the, the catchphrase, you know, catch me, outside. catch me outside. How about that? Yeah. How about that? Right. And so um, obviously, you know, a lot of people looked at her and, and I, I did, too. And I think I told you this over the phone. I mean, I was like, what a jackass, you know, uh, like, obviously you, you don't. But I, I had to take a step back and I realized that I was wrong to say that to an extent because actually, no, I was just wrong to say that because I had to take a look and see, well, how was she being raised? Right. I mean, yeah, I, look at, look I, at I mean, the family <laughs> dynamics. They're always overlooked. The family dynamics. I mean, look at how she was raised. This is why she turned out the way she did. But she's doing a little bit better for herself. I mean, she may not be in the graces of how people think she should be, but she, if she could be on drugs, it could be worse. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I just, uh, at first I, I didn't want that. her to be a face of this movement. I'll, I'm, I'll admit yeah. it. I was like, man, she's just going to portray us as like, for me, I was like, I wasn't even a trouble team. So I don't want her saying this, these things. And then people just not even taking her seriously because we all know how she acted. And that she yeah. stole cars and was on the Dr. Phil show. We all know how she was acting at home, ghetto, whatever routine. I don't want to be traded as that either. But that's her story. That doesn't reflect right. me and my story. And she's just as much as a victim of that as I am. So she has the right, just as much as right as I do, to share her story. And now I'm just like, you know, rock on, expose Dr. Phil. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? He's not even a qualified freaking doctor. And he's actually trying to get people from the trouble teen industry, other survivors. I have a friend on TikTok that he tried to reach out to and get her to come on his show. She's like, I don't know if I want to do it. And I was like, girl, do it. You better get on there and expose him. Be like, you know, I was in these programs that you recommended to send to, you know what I mean? I said, use that as an opportunity to speak with the audience and be our voice. Do that show. Not for him, but for us. Well, the only thing bad about that is that they have some wonderful editors, right? They, oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say that like wonderful as in like, you know, I'm doing air quotes, wonderful. They know how to, how to, how to, how to cut things out. I mean, there's a lot of interviews where there, there's a lot of sh like people go back after the N NDAs are done or expired or whatever like that. And they said, no, there's a lot more to this interview than that. Uh, we talked about this, this and that, but they didn't want to put that on the air. And so what's going to happen is that you're going to have one of these people being put on there. They're going to, they're going to take, they're going to cherry pick whatever they want to cherry pick from it. And then they're not going to get the full story out there. Right. That's the fucked up part about those, those type of interviews, and those type of shows. That's why I, you know, I, I don't want to do stuff like that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I want to help as best as I can, but I know like if, if anybody comes to me mm -hmm. with that, it's kind of like, okay, well, because uh, there's clear cut examples of that all over. Um, one that I remember, which opened my eyes to it, and it has it's completely unrelated to the trouble teen industry and to rape and pedophilia, but it was on uh, Comedy Central. It was uh, the Jim Jeffrey show. Uh, they had a guy on there that they portrayed him to be this anti-Jewish, uh, you know, you know, anti-Semite type person because they they took statements that he was saying in a context and trying to explain things and then they wouldn't put the explanation there and luckily he was smart enough and had the foresight to record it like he had his camera hidden and he recorded the whole damn thing and so he took every bit by every point that they try to make to look him bad to make him look bad and they said no this was actually what was said and it caused you know jim jeffries and all that to kind of i think got a show canceled if i'm not mistaken because they showed how kind of how kind of the gotcha journalism type shit that it really was and so I'm not I, I wouldn't be at all surprised or, or, or you know, amazed at all if, if a lot of these well, other I'm places sure they'll probably try to, But at the same time, it's still trying to at least the people in the audience can see for what, yeah. you know what I mean. And 
you can counter counter you know cross that too by using social media like yeah he totally edited the shit out of that interview this is what the fuck i really said and she's got you know all the supporters of survivors you know and supporters behind her to rally you know with her yeah but i mean as far as people like like myself who've never been through it they're gonna you know they're not gonna go and do the research i mean honestly you know you you telling these parents right now to go do the research you know damn well as well as i do they're they're not gonna go fucking research it half the time some of them will and and will and hopefully we'll save some of those kids but there are people that still are too lazy to go do the research i mean go look yeah. at my tiktoks and everything and you know there's parents they, that out there that don't care i mean yeah. i don't know like the ones i said were i knew someone her their parents got divorced mom got remarried stepdad didn't want kids sent kid away yeah I mean, it, it's there's classic stories. Like, I mean, hell, it's even in our media and our, our movements and everything. You know, you there have should be some sort of registry, like where you have to register with the state, and it has to be a reason why that child's get age child. It needs to be reviewed as to why they're actually being sent there, and someone who is transparent to evaluate whether that child needs to be there or not. There's yeah. things that we need to start doing, and it's better. It's going to take a lot of work, and it's going to take a lot of ideas. And and, and I don't know exactly how to execute this. I do know that right. we need their own bill of rights, just as people do in the hospitals and you know foster care system. You know, even in the yeah. DODD field, we have our own you know bill of rights for people. Um, but and I don't know exactly where to start start at, but I do know that this is the things that needs to be done, and this is how we need to execute it. It's just how do we execute it? You know, we need to create a lot, a lot of generate or buzz, create some buzz around this. Yeah. I, I guarantee that if you, you know, if they wanted to go the separation of church and state route and the religious faith-based organizations, then don't collect the social security money from the state. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you can't, you know, no, you can't collect it. You want to be separate, be separate, but you're not getting all this money from, from the state then screw this. Um, I know that's kind of a, kind of a harsh, uh, like, you know, not really there the should perfect be a answer. rule on yeah regardless if you're faith-based or not you have to be registered or certified to work with children you can't just oh because god called me to yeah and unfortunately what's going to happen is you're is not that... a pedophile who's to say you're not a pedophile and saying oh god called me to do this and then you're out there raping kids because it's happening yeah yeah and and another thing i was talking to another survivor i think yesterday or the other day um there's a there's a there's a deal in Arizona where if you go and live in Arizona for a while, um, you get to have your record quite clean from oh, wow. pedophilia. Yeah, so that's why there's a lot of uh, Christian or uh, preachers uh, in, in uh, living in Arizona. And then what mm-hmm. happens is once their records get clean, they get to move back to whatever state they want to go move to, and that you know wherever they want to go at. And so there, there's there's all these overlapping, overlying issues yep. that 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 weave in and out of each other, in these all gray of this. areas. Yeah, and so it's a bigger it's a bigger fight. I mean, it's not just pick a battle and that's it. I mean, obviously, you know, everybody's got a role to play in, in in all these different battles and fights. And I'm trying to cover as many of them as I can to to just show somebody, hey, look, here's you know, you might not be interested in doing this, but you can go do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not not everybody's going to want to go fight out against pedophilia and put themselves out there, but you right. might have people who have a heart to serve, right? And, and so, just like what I did uh, with another episode, uh, previous episode where I talked about an organization that feeds kids that that are hungry in in, the, in Livingston Parish out here, you can go do those type of things, right? You you there, it's not just fighting pedophilia or fighting a troubled teen industry. There's also serving that needs to be done as well and to help people. So I mean, the, the, like I said, there's healers, there's wolves, there's bowmen. You can go and do, you know, you can, and, and there's more than just that, but you can go and do something to that front, to that, to that, 
to that battle and still help and contribute. And I hope that, you know, good people like you and, and Barb and, and, and David and, and, you know, anybody out there can show people, Hey, you, you don't have to be, you know, you, you don't have to be super rich, super powerful. You don't have to be uh, any of these other things. You just need to be you and fight and just help and support and love. And that's the important thing is, is that y'all need the love and support that y'all didn't get all your lives. And you need good people to look at you and, and hug you and be there for you and say, you know what, this is wrong. This is bullshit. And we're going to help you fight and end it. Yep. <clears throat> we appreciate you, you for that and yeah. using your platform to give us a voice, to tell others about these things going on. And I hope people, you know, do go and do those research. And for the ones who don't, shame on you. <laughs> yeah. Big, you know, yeah, big shame, shame on you. Big shame on yeah. you. Yeah, yeah um, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones shame. How about that? Yeah, yeah. May the odds ever be in your favor. You know, because yeah. you know karma is going to come back. You know, there's kids you know out there who were in the program, but they're adults now, and they you know try to open up to parents. Um, and the parents, you know, gaslight, try to deflect. Well, it's not we that try bad. To help yeah. you. you Parents also, if, you know, you had a team that got sent away and they're coming to try to talk to you, believe them, talk to them, be supportive. Yeah. And don't tell them to just go pray about it. You know, yeah. actually, you know, there, uh, you know, and I made that TikTok the other day like that because it, it it's common across a lot of, a lot of, especially Christian based pa- uh, families and everything. Um, if somebody's coming to you and they're seeking advice and they're, they're trying to tell you what's going on. They're trying to get your advice as well. They're trying to get your help and they, and they, and they just want your support and they just want you to fucking listen. Sometimes you're not going to have any of the words. I don't have the words to say to a lot of y'all to, to a lot of you survivors, right? I don't have the right words to make it sound, to, to make it better. All I have is like, all I have is, is my love, right? And just that I love you and I care about y'all and I, and I support you. That's, that's, that means more to, to a lot of y'all than, than, than people would really actually know. And so I hope it I does. I like to give, um, Susie gave this really good analogy. Um, so to just to kind of like touch base back on, you know, so say you have, you know, a cut, a paper cut, you know, you're not going to just pray over that, right? You're going right. to pray over that. You're going to put a bandaid on it to stop the bleeding. You get, you know, shot in the leg. You're not going to pray over that, right? You're going right. to go to the hospital, go get medical care. Prayer is or, not the answer for everything in someone's life. There are other avenues, you know, for that. Or, or if you get shot in the leg, you're going to go to a, to a veterinarian named Sal so he can pull it out so they, they don't have to call the cops and put everything on paperwork. Right, right. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was just a joke. That was just a joke. But, you know, that, that No, I knew happened. exactly what you meant. I mean, I'm yeah, sure yeah, that's yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah. But no, but I'm I'm not trying to to, to dunk on, on what you're saying or anything like that. I mean, I, I agree with you fully. And yeah, you know, I mean, it, it this mental trauma, it, it you know, this mental pain, these mental paper cuts are just the same thing. You know, uh, you got to you know you got to heal them properly. Um, and sometimes prayer is not the only way Answer. for it. prayer. Yeah, prayer is not the only. You, you don't just heal it with just prayer. You heal it with not the only with actual. You're right. You heal it with actual medicine, right? And sometimes verbal medicine, uh, emotional medicine is what's needed. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's what a lot of a lot of y'all are trying to do as well. You're trying to give that medicine to people. You're trying to heal them. You're trying to help them. You're trying to fight for them. I mean, it, it, and it's a, and I, I do think you're growing the movement. I think you and John and 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 Susie and uh, Barb and Lacey and Tammy and David and, uh, and, and William and all these other individuals, Bobo and, uh, Bobo, whatever, Baba, or Bo- I forget her name. 
Uh, but you know who I'm talking about. Um, yeah, yeah. All y'all, all, all, all y'all are trying to, to grow it as well. And, and Tara as well. I'm sorry. I forgot Tara. I didn't mean to. I haven't talked to her a lot. But, um, but yeah, y'all are all trying to grow this out and it, and trying to, trying to say, hey, look, we're here. We're, we're, you know, stop sending your kids there. Uh, do your research. This is horrible. I mean, like, I know yours was, was a horrible story. And I think, and I told Susie this as well. Uh, when I heard Susie's story, um, which I can't cover it and go back. Um, I'm not going to, I'm going right. to wait until after all the other stuff that she's doing before we go into that. But that left a big impression on me as far as the worst story I've ever, one, one mm-hmm. of the worst story in my life that I've ever heard as far as when it comes to pedophilia, rape and murder and everything like that. Like it is the absolute worst. Um, you know, that like just hearing that I, and I've, we've had some, we've had some horror stories out of Livingston Parish out of here. And I mean, they, I mean, Susie's dad makes Jenny Perkins looks like a, fi- yeah. a fucking fire boy. If you, you know haven't, I mean? if you haven't heard Susie Spencer's story on their surviving abuse podcast, um, go check it out. It's part of the Rebecca yeah. house mini series. Um, yeah, go listen to that. It's, yeah, I mean, you you actually mind. told you told me to go hear that story too. Yes. You were the one recommending that. I was like, and when I went to go hear it, I'm like, holy shit! And uh, I wish I'd have heard that one last, uh, to be honest. Um, you know, as far as uh, right. just shock and awe of it all, because I'm just like, and I remember you telling me, kind of giving me the cliff notes of it, and I'm like, holy shit! And uh, I remember when I first talked to Susie, I was like, first off, uh, I'm so sorry that that you had to go through all that, and you know, I, I love you. And I, I, I can't imagine, you know, I'm I, like I said, like I've told you and like I've told Barb and some, and all these other survivors, I'm just baffled at y'all's mental fortitude and how y'all got through it because I, I don't know if I'd be strong enough to get through something like that. Right. And I mean, yeah, it, it, mental health is not a, not, not a big uh thing down here in Louisiana for men, uh, especially. Um, I think it's growing, but um. And I'm not trying to trail off too much and everything. I just, you know, I don't know if I'd be able to survive, you know, those thoughts in my head, those experiences by myself without finding any proper help, um, which I know she got help and everything as well. But I mean, it's, it's, it's harder for, you know, down here to get help. Right. So, um, I didn't yeah. even know where to get help or what to do until, you know, all this came about in 2020 yeah. and everyone started sharing and that kind of stuff. And I was like, you know, maybe I should go to therapy. You know, I never trusted yeah. therapy. I never trusted. And that's another thing. After going to a program like this and you receive some, their version of therapy, right. And it's not successful. It's traumatic. It's abusive. Then as an adult and you're all the stuff that you need to process and, and, you know, unlearn and, and go through and all this stuff. And you don't know how to trust anyone because your version of what you remember from therapy is not a good one. So now you're scared of trusting psychiatrists, doctors and therapy. And, you know, you don't have to keep going to the same therapist if it's not working out. It's a business transaction, you know, but a lot of people are scared of that now that too. So we was kind of want to stop that before you have to get to that point, you know, it's crazy, you know, and people like I've got hate so much hate from people in my life about therapy, like, Oh, it's just talking or they don't understand it. Or you just think you're just complaining about your problems. And that's not what therapy is. It teaches you how to validate what you went through. Um, you know, it teaches you how to process and understand that even though you went through those things, this does not have to be your whole personality, that this part of you, it's okay to heal. 
Um, yeah. it, it teaches you like right now with me and my therapist, I do EMDR therapy, um, in a combination of talk therapy. And we're talking about like a thing with, for me, of uh, um, being believable, I automatically assume someone doesn't believe me because that I was conditioned for so long that I wasn't believable. And you yeah. know, she asked me the other day, she's like, um, when you think of nine-year-old Sabrina, do you feel like how believable do you think she is from one to 10? And I was like nine and she like chuckled. I said, nine, like I know now, like little Sabrina, you was telling the truth, girl, even though that 1% does not believe you, you, you are still, you know, you're, you're believable. But back then, if you would ask me two years ago, how believable is nine-year-old Sabrina? I would have told you one, you yeah. know, like she's a woman. I mean, Cause this does all sound stranger than fiction, you know? Yeah. And it, you, you, cause we're in these safe little worlds and we grew up in these bubbles that we're, we're a lot of people just grew up in, in the safety and, and it's not the case. A lot of these monsters slithered their way through and they got through the cracks and, and they manipulated and lied and, 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 and just bamboozled a lot of people. And so now, you know, the truth is coming out and I'm glad it is. And I'm glad you, you're speaking up and I'm glad that you have came on this podcast too. I mean, I really am. And I appreciate it. I want to, um, I want to save, you know, I, I, I want to be able to have you on for another podcast episode. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of do what David did. I actually talked to David privately and I said, Hey, I liked your round talk uh, table idea. Do you think I can use it? Right. And he was, he was like, Oh, Jeremy. Yeah. You, of course. Of course, man. You don't have to ask that. I'm like, well, I it's just respect love Yeah. I know. I love David to death too. And I, I That's I first one thing him, I love about our little group. And I'm so glad you're part of the gang now is we kind yeah. of like, so like Susie, she's actually helping me edit my book as someone who, um, it's kind of, she's lived in that, in that life. So she understands like, oh, Sabrina, you should word it this way. Cause this is how they did it. And we need more emphasis on this. And then I have somebody else who didn't, wasn't part of the trouble teen industry, helping me edit the book too, from a standpoint yeah. of a, as a reader, as someone who's not familiar with this on, well, that sounded a little bit too complicated or repetitive change this. So they kind of right. helped me with that. What I love about her is, is I wrote something in my book and she made a little sign up and was like, Hey, can I use this section? I love how you explain this here in my book. And I was like, yeah, girl, go for it. Like we feed off each other. We share each yeah. other's content. We make each other songs behind our TikToks or like, Hey, I found this. And it made me think of your story and we're are each other's cheerleaders and not even just within the things that we're talking about in life. Like David loves to go to Reba McIntyre concerts. And I yeah, know all the time that we're going to go to a concert together. Cause I love Reba and I have not met anyone who loves Reba as much as I do. Um, I also love Dolly Parton too, <laughs> but yeah. you know, so and we kind of all just like feed off each other and it's like, yeah, or you have a great idea or maybe we can do this or we could do that. And you know, it's just great that we can do that in our, each other's support system and cheerleaders. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I knew about the Reba thing. He told me about he he told me about Reba as well. Um, uh, Susie, when I when I first made contact with her, I remember our first conversation. She gave me a good perspective um, on two different things. One, she gave me the concept of uh, holy discontent, which explains this anger that I have. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and it, 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 you know, it stunned me. It shocked me. I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, this is how I feel. And she's like, we well, need to go look more into that. And the more I read about it, the more this is actually true. I, you know, that maybe, yeah, you know, cause I, I think we got on the subject of, you know, why won't God talk to me? Right. Like I used to be, I was one of those Christians that would pray and pray and pray. Me and, too. I never would, and I would never hear God ever speak to me. Right. Like, I'll, I'll, and, yep. I, and, it, it made, and it made me go in the back of my mind going, are these motherfuckers faking it? Like, like, is is this really real? And and then you start going and you start questioning your own sanity and your own self. And, um, then you start just kind of going through the motions cause you don't yes. feel anymore. Your heart's yes. not into this. Yes. And, um, and, and so you just like, why am I even here? What's my purpose? And if, if exactly. God's speaking to all these other people, but not me, what am I doing? What am I doing? And then you start, like, you start, uh, downing yourself and thinking, well, maybe it's, maybe I'm sinning some kind of way. And, and maybe yeah. my sin is the reason why, and maybe it's because I had all these issues I never worked out and I, I don't want to let go of these issues or whatever the case may be. And so, um, you know, it, it does cause a, a tear away and a breakaway from something that could just, you know, that that's not even really there. And, uh, the other quite the other concept she gave me as well was, uh, you know, I always always say why God why right I, I when especially when it comes to these babies dying or babies being molested um, that's made me struggle with my faith because I don't know where's the grand plan and all that why 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 where's God's hand of protection on you know these babies when they're going through this and when I say babies I mean you know yeah. I, I, I do I do mean actual babies, babies. and toddlers it and stuff happens. but there's I, but so I also but but uh, but I, the news. But I mean, babies to me now are like are like children or, or or even teenagers almost. You know, they're babies. I mean, I'm old enough now to be a lot of these. I'm I'm old enough to be all these teenagers growing up now to be their father, right? I'm old enough yeah. to be their 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 not I'm not even young dad anymore, just a regular dad. God, I'm old. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> like um, I'm I'm old enough to be their father, and so they're babies to me, right? Um, and I when I hear older men talk about you know, now, especially now, even the last couple of years, like I, I, there'd be the guys that I would know and work with or, or just people in general, I'd know, and they'd go look at it, you know, a young girl and everything like, like an 18 year old, but you know, still young. Uh, and then, you know, like do the whole, you know, uh, uh, cat calling or, you know, talking, you know, talking to misogynists who talk that men would talk. Um, it would weird me the fuck out. And I'm like, dude, you, you're old enough to be the fucking girl's father, you know, like, nah, man, this, she's still a fucking baby, yeah. you know, and then of course, you know, you hear all that nasty shit and everything. I'm not going to go into it <clears throat> maybe for another episode because I have a story on that as well. Um, nothing I did, but just other people I ran into um, and knew in life. But um, so you have stuff like that going on. And I mean, they're just babies to me. I mean, and, and it would make me question my faith in God and like, well, you know, especially the special actual babies, what sin did they cause to commit that God couldn't protect them? Right. If, if yeah. we're supposed to believe, if we're supposed to believe in an all powerful, all seeing, all knowing being who knows the beginning of the beginning and end of time and knows every action, every choice we're going to make and every other individual we're going to make and, all the sins, he knows, and knows, he our knows our hearts and knows our hearts and knows all the sins we're going to commit. Why the fuck would this be allowed then? Like, right. You know, I mean, cause I've gotten to, you know, I've, I've had, you know, I've gotten into these debates with uh, with people who are into apologetics, like pre- preachers and pastors who are into that type of type of, uh, you know, th- those philosophical style questions in Christianity. Uh, I mean, the big questions, of course, you know, was the, the, the thing that happened in World War Two, the big which I don't think I'm allowed to say on because of terms of service. But, you know, the, the big the, the big bad thing that happened to a lot of those Jewish people in that time uh, w- w- with with Hitler and all that. Um, 
you know, why did that happen? Right. You know, why, why was this, uh, why was these atrocities allowed to happen? then if, if our God is that powerful and, and, and loving and merciful, um, and you know, they would go into these, these, these debates with me and whatnot, but like Ezekiel Harry, you know, uh, the two-year-old boy that, that got beaten to death by his mama and, and I mean, not by his mama, by his mama's boyfriend. And then his mama helped the boyfriend, uh, stuff his body, yeah, stuff his body into a duffel bag. And they walked around the streets of home of Louisiana and threw him in a trash can and then called the cops and say he was missing. I mean, she, you know, like why, you know, what, what, where, where's the plan and all that, right? Where's the, where's the payoff and all that, right. And all that misery. And, and some people have said, well, it could be, you know, you're not going to know until 20 years from now what, what happened. Right. You know, it, it, it could, and then somebody was like, tell me, well, I mean, it's, you sparked off your, your podcast. Right. I mean, so some good could come out. You, you could be saving somebody, some other Ezekiel Harry's in this world that you don't even know and realize yet. Uh, but that's and a to choice me, I, that I, we are making yeah. to, because we're trying as humans, we're trying to understand and process why we went there. Because there's got to be a reason why. There's got to be a purpose. Yeah. We're taught as a young child, there's a reason and purpose for everything and blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, so we're trying to, us trying to make sense of it and use something instead of letting it defeat us. Because there's either one way about it. With trauma, it's either going to, you know, make you or break you pretty much. And no one should have to go through trauma to be made. Does it make sense? No. And none of us yeah. should be broken. Um, a yeah. lot of people take their trauma. They either go left or right. They either, you know, fall back into drugs, start using drugs, um, uh, get in line of prostitution or let their hurt, hurt others. And they, you know, hurt others, become a bully or other people. We learn, we, we, we have the resources to get therapy, understand it, process it, grow from it, learn from it, or have the willingness in the heart to want to learn. And we try to figure it out ourselves. Um, or 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 even take that anger and that hatred and use it as yes, toward vigilante uh, justice, which sometimes yes, as a weapon. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a lot you know, of survivors become advocates and yeah. whatever of, you know, like David, he is, you know, an advocate of, of abuse. You know, he's a victim. He has his own story. Go back, check that out on his podcast. Episode yeah. one, I believe, um, yep, first episode. Uh, he, you know, and his was nationalized, publicized on television. And this was his way, his avenue of let me set this record straight. This is what right. happened. And I thought it started out like that for me, too, because I felt like people, when I would tell them about the programs, they would get it misconstrued and misunderstood. And be like, well, you had to do something to be sent there. Right. They're trying to justify it in their head or right. why would they do those mean things to you, Sabrina? Like they're trying to justify why those people use those tactics. And I said, there wasn't a reason why. They used fear tactics. There should never be a yeah. reason to use fear in order to subject someone into submission. It was a fear tactic. Um, there is no justification for that. And that's what you need to understand. Um, that's abuse how, doesn't that, need to be justified. Yeah. And that's how abused we've been, though, in, in, in our lives and everything is that we feel like because of how we've been raised and, and treated and grown up and everything like that, that, Oh, you must've done something really bad to be or treated that way. You had a right? relationship and, with that abuser and you kept talking to them at years after the abuse for five years. Why would you do that? If they abused you. Cause I was trauma bonded. I didn't know yeah. that they were abusing me. I thought this was love because they would do some things that were nice for me to make me feel loved. So yeah. therefore I'm not recognizing what they're doing is manipulative and I'm not being abused. And this is why when survivors tell their stories, people are like, oh, well, is it feel sorry for me? I'm past feel sorry for me. I'm past yeah. that. Um, that was me when I was a little girl. Feel sorry for me, even up maybe till I was a teenager. And then angry Sabrina took over and was like, I'm tired of getting hit. I'm tired of getting beat. I'm tired of people hurting me. You ain't going to hurt me. I'm going to fight you. And if that makes me seen as defiant, oh, fucking well. 
Right. And, and I'm and I'm loud and I'm boisterous and really actually I'm an introvert that likes to be in my room watching my Netflix with my snacks and you know I don't like to be bothered you know right. but at the same time I have to come out that comfort zone and 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 become you know a speaker and speak out because I had no one fighting for me I had no one no one there for me and I know that there's kids out there who don't have no one so I'm being their voice so it's I'm not doing this for my the Sabrina show this is these kids out here I don't know what their names are they're still fighting and we need to stop this yeah we do this is my way of helping I guess this is maybe God allowed me to go through this because he knew this girl's a strong little girl and she's going to be a fighter and she's going to be the one to help solve the problem to this these I'm sick of these motherfuckers out here using my name to hurt kids maybe that's maybe that's the reason maybe that's the reason and and I don't want to hate religion I don't hate religion I believe there's a God I believe there's a creator um but I'm questioning everything that I learned in that religion and that faith and I don't attend a church because now I'm so scared that I'm going to be in doctrine. I listen to what the preacher is actually saying and not just going through the motions. And if I don't like what you have to say, I'm not going to go to your fucking church. Like, I'm not doing right. it. You're not going to sit there and, and you know, tell me that black people are Hamites and slaves need to obey their masters and um, we're abominations and we're not seeing it. And I'm supposed to sit there and just listen to you and be okay with that while you're talking shit about my race. Like, um, no, thank you. <laughs> like, and you, you know, know, like, and, and, and I never heard of shit like that before. Like even when the churches I went through and everything like that, I never heard of none of that shit. Like, like, uh, like, like, like interracial marriage. In fact, I think um, one of my one of the churches oh, yeah. I went to. No, I one told of the you about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the churches I went to, uh, they actually celebrated interracial marriages and stuff like that. Now, uh, obviously, Beautiful. the gay, yeah, but the but you know, obviously, homosexuality and everything is very much frowned upon. It's still frowned upon to this day it's in the churches because well, yeah, you know, and of course, it's because there's a lot of other reasons why historically why you know how the Bible was rewritten and everything like that. And when I'm not going to go into all that today, right? That's I mean, that might be something me and David to get into and to get in with, but um. I want to, uh, I want to kind of, kind of, you know, we've been, we've been at it for two and a half hours. Um, <laughs> I'm not tired or anything, but I know, uh, this, this is the longest podcast interview I've ever done. And, uh, I thank you for so much, but I want to, uh, you know, let's go ahead and recap, uh, what's your book called and what's your, uh, TikTok and all your other social medias, put them all out there. Just say okay. what they all are. All right. So my book is titled Dear Renisha, Turning Trauma into Triumph. It will be available on Amazon by January 2023. Um, you can look for updates um, about my book um, via um, Facebook on the Surviving Abuse podcast. David Keck said that he would share um, any updates about my book on there. I also have two TikTok accounts. Hang on, actually. Hello? Hey, Sabrina, you cut off on me for a second. Sabrina? Oh, crap. Technical difficulties, y'all. Sabrina? I think it I think it cut her off the app whenever she uh, goes and looks up her TikToks. Oh. Sabrina, if you can hear me, come back to the app. Or come back to the call. All right, y'all. I don't know if the recording on the other side is happening or not. I know I'm. Hello. Okay, all right. So, um, 
All right, I gotta I gotta wrap this up really quick. Uh, my wife is worried; she's almost dead somewhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, anyway, uh, so what is your TikToks and Facebooks and all that good stuff? So you can follow me on TikTok, um, Sabrina Young, and my um, no Facebook is Sabrina Young. My TikTok, um, two of my accounts are Dear Renisha One and Dear Renisha Two. It's spelled dear D E A R and Renisha is spelled R E N I S H A. Um, you can also uh, get my book in January off of Amazon. I'm okay. going to um, be doing some things on social media to kind of let you guys know about the process and updates. Um, and that way you guys can kind of like pre order. Okay. That's good. And I'll, and I'll try to put updates in my announcements in future episodes as, as well and everything. So just send them my way and I'll try to cover them in my solo episodes and uh, things of that sort of nature. And of course, uh, update them on the uh, on the man on a man apart podcast Facebook page. Uh, and of course, a man apart podcast uh, TikTok. Um, that's the two best ways to get in touch with me. Um and of course, there's so many other different channels out there. Uh, just let me know and I will send you to Sabrina's way if you want to reach out to her. Uh, reach out to her directly, like she, like she said, on Facebook or on TikTok. Uh, please check out Surviving Abuse by David Keck, the Rebecca Holmes uh, miniseries. And that's it. Thank you for having me. No problem. You have a good night, okay? You too. Bye-bye. Bye.